nice groovy beat right there welcome to another episode of the back of the 135 podcast brought to you by the west west network brought to you by westwestnet.com check out all our podcasts on the network find links to them on our website and also check us out on our youtube channel the west west network youtube channel and also on all our socials where we are on facebook twitter and instagram give us a like and follow this week guru of gains yash on his zealous state of mind podcast he talks to a man of many many talents from acting to being an athlete personal trainer and a bodybuilder he has a conversation with robbie vai so check out um, the Zealous State of Mind podcast out now on all audio platforms. Yeah, man, so it's, we're coming close to Christmas here. It's in the middle of December. The Back of the 135 will be wrapping up for the year shortly. I'm proud to make it past 100 episodes. This is 101. We have another one in the books, 102, and one to be recorded next week. 103 which probably see us for 2020 we'll be back next year 2021 with more content for everybody for all our listeners so stay tuned for that this episode on the back of 135 podcast i talked to fellow podcaster jack nielsen now he has a podcast with his cousin Patrick Foster. It's called the Native Overstayers podcast. You find them on Spotify, and they've also got a YouTube channel. They do an awesome podcast, guys. Um, they've had some very interesting and relative conversations with some pretty awesome guests. They've had uh, Sir Michael Jones on their podcast. They've had Caleb and Ronnie Clark, and also they've had. The one I listened to, the, my latest one I listened to was um, was was Jason Suddy, and I think the latest episode right now they've they've had um, Monty Beatham um, jump on. So yeah, man, aw- awesome content. Go check them out on YouTube and on those audio podcast platforms. The Native Overstairs. Now, I tried to get both of them on. Only Jack was available, and on Back Around Route Five side, Isaiah he couldn't make it. So. It was just myself and, and Jack on this episode. So it was a great conversation. He's a very knowledgeable guy. It was cool to sit down and talk about issues Pacifica and, and Mali have right now. And also how to empower us to, to move up that ladder of society. So yeah, man. So I, lo- I love this conversation we had. And yeah, I'm excited to, to be putting this up. So yeah, guys, without further ado. Hit that intro.
welcome. Hey, hey. back at 135, man. Wow, this is awesome, brother. Good to be here. So good to be here. So in front of us, I don't know if the camera sees it, but we've got some wow, cheeseburgers here. We've got some lamingtons. Is it lamingtons? Well, yeah, lamingtons there. There's some Afghans, all the essential micro and macronutrients that you'll need for a podcast. And of course, <laughs> a beer. Beer's always good. Yeah. How's it been, man? Because um, I've been a fan of you and your, your cousin um, Pat's podcast, The Native Overstairs. Hmm. Yeah, man, how is that going for you guys? Because you guys on your episode, what, you in your... Oh, we're up to, I think, episode 33. I think we've just done 33. Um, and that's been sort of done over the course of the last... When did the... Um, when was the World Cup semi-final? Last October? Last October? Where we uh, remember when the All Black was lost to the to the England? You know what? I forgot to press record on that. Ah, who's that? And take two. Ah, sweet You know, that's... Uh... Grab another bills. There you go. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, we've done that too. Then we had to start again. I was like, oh, unprofesh. Unprofesh. But all good. That's all good. Technology, eh? It's, uh, but, but you know when those mistakes happen, like you just got to keep on going there. Eh? show must go on. That's the key, brother. Yeah. Just just keep on moving. Uh, like Dory says. So no, that's the way. That's the way. Keep on swimming. We had um, Dominic on the he was actor for... Um, uh, Shortland Street. Oh wow! Yeah. And um, we had half an hour of conversation, and then the okay. then the computer shut down. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> and we lost that gold, yeah. gold oh, of good lord. Sort of like um, half an hour of us just shooting the shit, and yeah, man, yeah. it was good. You know, you can't repeat it, eh? So no, you just gotta keep going. It's very hard to replicate. Hoping, sort of, yeah. Hoping that will you'll produce that gold again, but you know. Oh good lord! It's a shame Pat's not here because he's he's normally the gold bringer. Um, for us but no no definitely I think uh, any conversation is good conversation where you can uh, engage with someone someone like yourself or even someone that's a bit different and, and sort of learn a few things and I guess that's the other thing with podcasting um, these days it's it's not even so much sometimes it's not the person you speak to but it's also the people that are watching or listening uh, they might pick something up that's useful and, and you know you can plant a seed in someone's life and you know they can learn something which is what we all want to do anyway we're always learning so yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's the way yeah so um, I think uh, I saw your first episode um, was you guys started last year, end of last year. Yeah, so just um, just after the uh, the All Blacks lost to uh, England. Oh, oh, baneful memories for some people, maybe, <laughs> but uh, that was a good game. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the um, Patrick uh, asked me, "Oh, bro, we should do a podcast." I'm like, "Yeah, sweet as." I mean, I've um, I did a podcast before that. Oh yeah, um, was so, it your own one? Uh, yeah. So what? Um, so previous when I, I came back to New Zealand uh, in 2019. Uh, March about 2019, my dad lost his leg to diabetes. Um, so I decided to come back and basically help him with his recovery. Um, before that, I was in Hong Kong for about six, seven years. And probably the last two years I was there, I did a podcast called uh, League 852. So it was a rugby league podcast. Uh, 852 is like the area code uh, for Hong Kong. And so, yep. Rugby league podcast. So we sort of try to model on like the footy show. If you're a fan of the footy show with Fatty and Steele and all those fellas. And uh, that was quite fun. And then I guess that's where we sort of discovered we never like shot video or anything like that. It was basically, um, you know, we had a couple of phones with, with decent microphones. Yeah. And uh, my uh, my friend at the time, uh, sorry, uh, my friend uh, Neville Metcalf, who was also like the, um, the head of Hong Kong Rugby League, um, would go to his office. He's a lawyer. So during his lunch break, we'd basically pop down. And a bit like here with all our food here, you know, there'd be some cha uh, bao and, and that sort of stuff. And we would sort of eat and talk about rugby league. And I think what I found with that podcast is that, you know, rugby league, you know, we all like rugby league because it's a great sport and that sort of stuff. But at the same time, we could sort of bring in uh, different types of content. 
So you know, we looked at current events and we, we did, I went away and did interviews off-site with other people and then just edited them into the podcast. So it, it almost became, quite, like I said, I'd probably say like kind of like the footy show, just not as funny because those guys are pretty hilarious, right? Um, so I guess that was sort of my introduction into podcasting. And then I'd obviously discovered Anchor. And I know you guys use Anchor as well, and, and to everyone out there in Anchor world, uh, keep on listening and keep, in, uh, keep on supporting because it's very important. I do like with Anchor that they now offer um, sponsorship for certain ads. Have you guys looked into that? Yeah, I looked into it. They, they said there's America only, US only. Yeah, so yeah, that, that is one thing. Did you send an email? Because they, they've got that thing on the website saying, yeah. send an email if you want if any you questions. Want I was like, oh, or, yeah. And they went, oh, no, obviously we're not in America. I have heard, um, have you heard, um, oh, there's a rugby podcast with Jim Hamilton and Andy Goon, and there's a, um, a good, sorry, and and one of the local, is a Kiwi guy, and they do a podcast, obviously, uh, Andy and Jim Hamilton, they're over in the UK, and Andy, I think, the other, the other guy, sorry, I can't forget I've his name, sorry bro, um, he's here, based here in New Zealand, and so they obviously do their Zoom sessions, and then they sort of record it, um, but that's a podcast, I think actually based here in New Zealand, I think because of the, the size of the audience, so they've obviously got quite a few subscribers or listeners, so they actually chuck in local ads, so that's what I mean. It was like advertising Spark and and sort of some local programs and all that sort of stuff. So I guess hopefully, I mean, like you said, it's it's America that sort of has the the sponsorship or sponsored ads, because obviously for us, I mean, like yourself, I mean, you're obviously investing a lot of money and time and to sort of to share information out there. Um, but uh, I guess to, to monetize it is kind of the goal, right? It's like something you guys want to do, or at least have a bit of coin coming in. Yeah, the, it is the end goal. I mean, I mean, who would want to do this for a full time job? You know. Like, you know, talk to people and, you know, learn, learn. That's the main things why we do this podcast, to learn off other people. Absolutely. Yep. And and not just any other people, our own people, you know, because there's a lot of, like I hear you guys say on your podcast, you know, there's a lot of good stories out there and it's, and it's good to promote those stories, yeah. especially from our, our own people. So, no, it's good. It's a good thing. There's definitely plenty of um, stories to be shared, inspirational stories. I know... Um, I guess if Patrick was here, he'd probably tell you about, he used to do these uh, inspirational interviews, and like five-minute interviews, and you basically all talk to different people in the community, you know, firemen, policemen, different jobs, or just people out there making a difference in the community. And I guess that's sort of where um, our podcast sort of evolved from as well. And that, again, I had a bit of experience doing a podcast, putting that together, knowing how to use Anchor, and then with his background in terms of having done those interviews and video format, so he'd post them on Direct Productions on his Facebook page, he sort of wanted to evolve that into a longer conversation, yeah. like we're doing now, um, because it's, it's, it's nice to definitely um, hear people's stories and I guess get it in that interview format, but at the same time, when you, I think when you converse or when you speak to people, it's nice to be able to sort of a bit of give and take and then you can sort of ask questions on the fly. I mean, we don't script anything like you fellas. We just sit down and have a bit of a chat, right? Uh, and then that way, you know, we might, like you said, sort of get those little nuggets that come out and then someone out there listening or even our, especially ourselves sort of learn something. So it's, it's it's quite cool how that sort of process evolves. But I mean, for you guys, I mean, where's Wes Network? I mean, I saw your guys work probably earlier in the year, um, especially during the lockdown. And I thought, wow. I mean, here, but here's a, there are strength in numbers. There's definitely strength in numbers, and so when you have you know 13 odd podcasts pulled together, you can cover so much content, uh, which is awesome. Um, and I know, I mean, I know you guys were on. Um, you had Selma Tuffer, Alex McCarthy on, and you know, I mean, he's a one man band. He's a one man show, Mr. New FM. I remember that voice, right? So I mean, it's nice that you can um, have all these different uh, shows and, and podcasts, but we can collaborate together. 
because we will be able to share audiences, or I guess you can say that. Um, we can share stories, we can share content. And I guess when it does come to uh, content creation, or I guess more of a social media sort of term, you know, you can basically choose to collaborate with people, come up with your own fresh content, or like most people, copy bits and uh, pieces from all different places. Mm. But I mean, I know that you guys, so you got started sort of listening to JRE, right? The old Joe Rogan experience. What was sort of who was the first guest that you sort of remember watching? Um, <coughs> I can't actually remember. I, I remember um, uh, the when when Jamie Fox come on because that oh. was the one I first time I listened to it like. More than once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I like the stories that he was telling about um, his, uh, his, his parties. parties. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, Kanye yeah. in the corner, and Jay-Z in the corner. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but in, and since then, I think JRE's been the, been the standard for, for podcasts, for me anyway. Um, th- I know this podcast is heavily un- influenced by JRE. Well, we've got our own sort of 135 uh, experience, brother. That's the play. I like the uh, dip, uh, sensory deprivation tank over there, bro. That's pretty cool. Yeah, mm. a little man cave, so it's cool. But it was mainly my my co-host um, Isaiah. He he was he was into podcasts for years. Oh, sure. He was one of the first guys I remember trying to get everyone into podcasts. And this was back in like 2011, 2012. Yeah, yeah. And that's real early, yeah. So he was listening to Joe Rogan when it was in they the first sort of started in the hundreds and not hundreds. Yeah, in the, sort of in, the in the three digits. You know? Red band and all those. Yeah, levels, right. Red band. He probably will listen to like. Uh, do, have you, do you know who Adam Curry is? Adam yeah, Curry, yeah. yeah. So he's, he's, he's the, the godfather, godfather of podcasting, yeah, yeah. right? So I think yeah, he's probably probably be listening to him. And there is a good. Um, I actually, to be honest, I hadn't really uh, heard about of him until I listened to. Um, uh, I found a podcast called Mo Facts with Adam Curry. Have you heard of that podcast? No. Mo Facts with Adam Curry. It's basically him and an African American uh, gentleman by the name of Mo Facts, and they basically sit down and. Um, you know, have their podcast. Um, I'd really encourage people to to listen to that one and, and check it out because they they talk about sort of obviously racism and all that, and we can get into that tonight as well. But in America and the, and the history of African American people and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what I like about that podcast is a bit like Malcolm X said all those years ago when he was before he before he went, is that in order for people to get along, you know, you basically need both parties to sit down together and not be afraid to offend each other mm-hmm. and have that conversation and then find common ground. So you need a, a white person and a black person to basically sit down and say stuff. And as long as they don't offend each other and they can sort of meet each other halfway, that's kind of how you can solve racism. And and so I thought, you know, that's that's a pretty powerful way. And that's what basically the show is. Um, and I think it's, again, with, with Adam's experience um, and the content that... Um, that Mo brings to the show, um, he brings a lot more. He brings different perspectives on sort of African American history, and obviously, what's happening in America right now is dominating all that sort of stuff. So I find that a lot of my uh, understandings and perspectives are sort of shaped by people like that. But like you said, I would rather listen to an actual African American person talk about African American issues and topics and all that sort of stuff and get their perspectives now that's not going to be the same for all African Americans I mean I have a lot of American friends they're on both sides left and right Um, some of them are Republicans some of them are Democrats some think Trump did a great job some people don't want him out so we'll see what happens with these recounts but I think again important to have when you want to again form an opinion on something if you can get people that are directly inside whatever it is that you want to find out more about those are the people to go to as opposed to other people so what do you reckon i mean is that a yeah I, yeah i think that you know in the in usa there is a big problem i'm, I'm, I'm cautious that their problems make their way here 
through you know social media and all that. Like, yeah, for sure. And my question is, what what does it do for us? Does it help us see that there is racism here, which there is? Oh, there's racism everywhere. Yeah, there's plenty of racism everywhere. But are we talking about um, levels of racism here? Are we as are we are we as bad as the United States? Are we are we as mm. are we as um, polarizing as them? Yeah. yeah um, and 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 if we get that sort of information from the news, from social media, mm. would it make us polarized too? When those polarizing ideals come come through through yeah. social media, and that comes to us. Yeah. Then we end up doing those protests and down on Queen Street. Wow. Yeah. And you know. Yeah. Are we shining a light on something that, you know, probably needs to be shined on, but to yeah. that extent of, you know, how much, how, how bad it is? is it, I mean, yeah. it's bad, but is it as bad? Maybe slightly different experiences. Mm. I guess if you're going to make that comparison, for example, uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand, America, different histories, different ways that the countries have developed. Uh, in New Zealand, uh, we obviously had the Treaty of Waitangi, which basically allowed us to form this country. And obviously, because of mistranslation within the treaty, obviously a lot of Māori um, you know, went through a lot of deprivation because of that. And that's when they talk about the effects of colonisation. Um, I guess if you were to compare that to, say, um, America, I mean, you've obviously got Africans that were brought over on slave ships, I think around 1619 or whenever it was. Um, and obviously they went through a different process um, of deprivation in terms of going through, what, 250 years of slavery, probably another 100 years of sort of Jim Crow laws and, and racism and all that sort of stuff, um, to get to a point now where uh, the comparison, what's interesting to me, sorry, is the comparison and uh, the discussion around reparations. So in America, and I was talking to a good friend about this, and I was saying, you know, there are plenty of African-Americans that support this idea of getting reparations. If they can trace their lineage back to um, Africans, African slaves that were brought over. Here in New Zealand, we had the Waitangi Tribunal, right? And the treaty settlements, and uh, like Alfano. I mean, I'm Alfano from up north. Uh, and so... The treaty settlements, my understanding is that there's been about $900 million that have been paid in um, uh, the settlement, the Waitangi settlements, to different iwis, Ngaitahu, uh, Sea Lord, all that sort of stuff. Whereas, I guess in, in one way, we're kind of ahead of the curve, or ahead of America in that regard, in that the government, or the crown, because that's what they'll know and have, has made sort of that uh, step, already made that step towards addressing uh all that discrimination or racial discrimination or the effects of colonization. Whereas in America, African-Americans, I mean, they're still bottom of the heap and then they're still trying to bring up this idea of reparations where, you know, as, as a way of um, helping them to get out of poverty, to get out of the bottom of American society. What I do find interesting, though, with that is obviously in America during the 1960s, there was, uh, they had um, LBJ, uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson, who was the president, that's when they started the war on poverty, right? That's when they started putting trillions of dollars mm -hmm. into the war of fighting poverty. Well, 60s was a long time ago. Has any of that changed? Not really. I mean, Americans are still at the bottom, right? Oh, sorry, African Americans are still at the bottom. So and that's why you see people um, that are asking for reparations, that are saying, you know, we've suffered, you know, we should be paid for what happened to us or what happened to our ancestors. Because that put us, I guess, behind the, uh, the eight ball or put us further back. And now and only now we're starting to catch up. But I actually think what happened more in the 60s is what sort of kept African-Americans sort of, again, 
down in the dumps. The comparison between Māori and African Americans, similar population uh, percentages in terms of the overall population of each country, right? So you can always sort of see there's a bit of a parallel there. But again, I think in, in New Zealand, in our case, we're a little bit more ahead in terms of addressing that inequality. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. So I guess yeah, a lot of people will sort of draw. And then where do Pacific Islanders come into that? We're out, you know, where our Samoan and Tongan and, and our Cook Island and, and Fijian and Yuan people that came during from the fifties onward and started filling those those labour shortages. And then obviously when the government when Muldoon and that said, oh, you know, we're good now. You've filled the shortage. You can bugger off back to the islands. Well, no, we've you know we've set up families here. People have born here. Generations have come forth. Um, yeah, it gets a, it gets tricky there. Because again, it's again, it's not so much. It's sorry. It's it's the the groups, and because we're part of those groups, and I guess that's where the sort of our our podcast has come about as well. It's it's talking about those sorts of issues that maybe people aren't as familiar with. But what do you think? I mean, is that for Pacific Islanders and and Maori especially? We're always at the bottom of those socioeconomic groups. We're at the bottom, trying mm. to keep, trying to claw our way up. I think so, in here in, in New Zealand. Mm. I'm actually in the middle of reading um, Alan Duff's new book, A Conversation oh. with New Zealand, and he talks about um, how, if you look at indigenous all around the world, mm. uh, Māori has, has, has the best out of everyone, in yeah. terms of what you're saying about the, the reparations, and, yeah, he talks about, yeah, yeah, yep, sure. and he talks about ownership of homes and, yeah. and just and, yeah, personal property and even careers in, in terms of that. So if you compare that to the Aborigines in Australia, you know, Ooh. it's like... Yeah, mm. I was cool to see them at least get their uh, their national anthem sung in one of the the Aboriginal languages over with the Wallabies paid Argentina. But yeah, 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 that's that's interesting with Alan Duff. And I also know what you're saying about um, Lyndon B. Johnson and the war on, on poverty because yeah. even though they threw they threw a whole lot of money at it, the white people weren't letting them buy homes. You know, well the redlining, right? Yeah, but that was the big thing, especially after uh, World War Two where you had, you know, African-Americans go and fight for their country. And then when they came back to try and get, you know, loans to basically buy nice properties, they were getting turned down, right? And that's where the whole the red line or, or fence off particular areas. And that forced them all into the slums. So it's like, okay, well, there's the, a direct example of a very racist policy um, that basically resulted in, you know, Mm. Uh, what we see today, you know, in the city slums, you know, in the ghetto, the projects, or whatever you want to call them, yeah. um, you know, and but it also highlights the importance of um, uh, property ownership, you know, having assets, you know, having, I mean, if you're paying rent these days, it's you know, it's sort of it's money down the drain as opposed to being able to either pay off a mortgage or own property. I mean, that's how people seem to accumulate wealth. Um, and and the more assets that you can acquire, probably the better. Mm. Um, but again, if You've come, again, if you've started sort of back here, <laughs> you've grown up in a deprived area or whatever it is, um, and, and buying a first home, I mean, it's, it's hard enough for anyone to really buy a first home these days. Yeah. Auckland's yeah. super expensive. It's crazy. So. It's, yeah, it's, it's funny you put that up because I, I just got reminded of um, a generational wealth. Oh, yes. Because, you know, if, um, if the first survivors came from Samoa mm. to New Zealand in the 60s, 70s, yeah. we started from scratch. You yes, know? Yeah, yeah. So we all started in the same starting line. So on the same line, yeah. You know, so yeah. it's up to the next generation to improve on that, mm. and then improve on that for the next generation. Constantly so yeah. whether you know the the Palangis have been doing it for generations or already, so they're already yeah. ahead. So yeah. I think I think um, if we understand that, mm. then we probably know we can you know do better. Yeah. You know, especially me, and my. Um, my generation, you yep. know, yeah. my mum and dad came from Samoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, 
they still live in town in Great Linden, you yeah. know. So everyone there started from scratch, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And it, it's cool. It's interesting to me our podcast because all the, all these Pacific Islanders we had on, yeah. and they've been successful in their careers. Like, and I'm thinking, man, how'd you get, how'd you get there? How'd you get there? Like, yeah, sure. So we we have these talks of all these d- different people, right? And I'm thinking, yeah. wait, we all started from the same place. We all started from scratch. If they're the same generation, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. our parents all started from zero. So. Yeah. To me, I'm like thinking, okay, if if uh, if I think I haven't done much in my life, yeah. I've got no excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's definitely <laughs> a good way to put it. You know, they um, the previous generations basically got us to the ladder, mm. and now it's up to us to climb the ladder, and then our kids will climb top of our shoulders and they'll climb even higher, or they'll create their own ladder. Yeah. And I guess that's the other thing. You know, when you start moving into different spaces, whether it's digital or whether it's a brick and mortar business or whatever it is you do in life. You know, if if you're not happy with a with a door, or you're trying to get through a door and there's too many other people there, well, create your own door. You know, whatever that is for you. So it's uh, yeah, but I, that is the interesting thing about you know, um, again when those previous generations they all settled in Grey Lynn, and then they all sort of started migrating out into the different suburbs, right? Coming out west and going out south. A little we had um, Dr. Melania and I on, uh, who obviously had a lot to do with the Polynesian Panthers, and she sort of talked about what it was like to go up in Grey Lynn and be part of that movement and how she went to America and um, you know went to the actual um, Black Panthers themselves and, and sort of obviously adopted their philosophy to, to again, and that's where you see the parallel between um, I guess Pacific Island and Maori and African Americans, which is why. I maybe maybe that's why we we can sort of relate to them so much, just like our Aboriginals or any sort of Indigenous people. Um, but again, it's sort of Greylands are a bit more different now <laughs> than when it was probably when 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 our previous generations came. Um, but then at the same time, you've got people that have come from all over the world now and that have settled in, and and that's the nice thing about um, living in Auckland, very multicultural. Yeah, very multicultural. You get people. I'd say a lot more Saffirs these days. Have you noticed? There's a, there's a few more Saffirs that come in. Lovely people as well. So, lovely people. I, I can't say I've never met a Saffir that I don't like. Um, they love their rugby and they like they like their uh, their bries. They like their barbecues just like us. Uh, but yeah, very, very nice people. So yeah. It just reminded me when you said Auckland's uh, it's multicultural because I heard you on episode one of your podcast. You were listening to a lot of um, Stefan Molyneux. Yes. Yeah, it's Stefan. And, and you know when that guy came over? And he got he got he got cancelled. Him and um, Lauren Southern. Yeah, they did. Right. Yeah, they got absolutely chopped down, didn't they? And it was all about the comments about a multicultural society. Like they, they don't agree with it. Yeah, I guess for them coming from America, I think Lawrence from America, and obviously um, Stefan is in Canada. They don't have maybe the same level of multiculturalism uh, that we do. And again, that's probably a, a, an advantage or a strength for us. I mean, I went to Mount Roskill Grammar um, last millennium, last century. Oh, that's a long time ago. And I remember in our school hall, we had, I want to say, 53 different flags. So all the different nations, where all the different people were from, we had a flag for each of them. And I remember even during the 90s when uh, you had a lot of Somalian refugees coming over and, um, you know, people, but again, just people from different backgrounds. It was just normal, I guess, you know, for, for our, now maybe for the previous generation, or maybe they're just sort of, for uh, Māori and Pacifica, they just sort of grown up around each other, Māori and Pacifica and Pākehā as well. But for, I mean, for me, growing up in, in Mount Roskill, mid to, sorry, 90s, mid-90s to late 90s, that school was so multicultural that, you know, you got to see people from different ethnic groups. What is interesting, though, is 
when you do have lots of different groups, sometimes your own cultural identity can disappear. So you can become assimilated into a generic Kiwi culture, which can have its problems. You know, I mean, we, as I said, uh, mum's Māori, dad's Samoan. Uh, we grew up uh, listening or hearing Samoan and, you know, being told to do for hours and all, and we know what they were saying. But in terms of speaking, it was kind of a different story. I mean, how was it for you sort of growing up? Did you speak speak as well or were you taught? <coughs> well, we, we went to Samoan church, but that was the only Samoan we heard in church. Yeah. I mean, at home, mum and dad, they didn't talk to us in Samoan. They talked yeah, to yeah. us in English. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um, only, only when we got in trouble. So yeah, of course. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. There's no more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, and I know for a lot of Māori, for example, the previous generations, they weren't allowed to speak Māori. So it was really discouraged. And that's where the sort of the, the loss of the language came about. Um, and then obviously you saw a resurgence back in the 80s with Kohanga Reo. And now, I mean, it's, you know, it's Māori TV and all the different uh, mechanisms for basically uh, acquiring the language. It, that is echoed in Pacific language as well, because obviously a lot of like our parents, or even previous generations, they, I guess, discouraged is the right word or, or didn't speak because they wanted them to speak, you know, the mother tongue or the, the main language of this country. So they didn't want you to be disadvantaged, I guess, is one way you could say. I mean, I remember my dad telling me that. I was like, mate, you should have spoke to us in Samoan. You know, here I am later in my later years, you know, my probably wasn't until my mid-20s I actually started learning to speak. Um, I went to university to learn it. That was, that was one of my subjects at Auckland Uni. So, you know, to, to be able to, and there was a whole bunch of us. New Zealand-born Samoans, couldn't speak. And we had um, uh, Vavao Fetoi, who who taught us. And he was amazing. Oh, you have to go to church with him as well, which helped. Um, but it was nice to to learn the language, learn how to write it, uh, and then be able to speak it. And I guess the stigma of not being able to, sorry, that probably brings up a thing, uh, the questions of identity. Are you Samoan if you can't speak? Are you? What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think so. Of course you are, right? <laughs> yeah. If you, you know, just because you don't speak, if that same blood that runs through your veins runs through your parents' veins and you can trace it all the way back to your villages in Samoa and even further, then how are you, your Samoan? I guess it's just, again, whether you're a Samoan born in New Zealand, New Zealand-born Samoan, or you're born in Samoa, you're born in America, born in Australia, I think we're going to see a lot more, you're seeing a lot more um, Samoans, Pacific Islanders, born in Europe, Africa, Asia, all these other parts around the world, but we're all Samoan. At the end of the day, there's the Anganu'u, which brings us all together. And, you know, when you get that opportunity to learn and speak, it's it's very important. So, mm. You know, with our people spreading out like that, mm. and if you think about maybe five generations from now, mm. what do you think the landscape is going to be in terms of our culture? I mean, will we be so merged in those countries we settled in yeah. that we won't have, it'll be so mixed that we can't even recognise? Or is it, is, it, is it going to be a case where our our kids' kids will go back to Samoan and not, not recognise anything? I think you're seeing, I guess if you look at the way it is now, so Fa Samoa in New Zealand is different to Fa Samoa in Samoa. There's, there's alterations, um, just like in Australia, just like everywhere else. What I, what I see as encouraging is people like um, Tanuai, who does the um, Taui Tua, uh, program, Young North Fa Samoa 101, which used to run in. Helping wherever you are, and that's what that was the beauty about the program going online as well. Lockdowns definitely had its its, its problems, but that was one of the good things about um, uh, Tanawai putting that program online. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can tune in on Zoom and basically learn the Anganu. 
And I think when, as long as you have people like that, and that sort of ministry for him and Kisa, um, that will always keep some sort of commonality. But it will evolve and change. I think you're right. In, in five generations' time, it'll probably be it'll be a combination of, you know, whatever New Zealand culture is and and Samoan culture, whatever it is in Australia. There'll be still the, the common links that we have. There'll be still the same messina and all that sort of stuff that we'll treasure, especially the language. But it will change, um, and that's why it's important to sit down and have conversation. And that's what Tanawai encourages. You know, um, they go and sit down with the the Makais in your family, and you know, learn those fatlupingas and learn all those different laungas that you you might will need to give. Because when they're gone, they're gone. I mean, you've got people like him who are saving it and putting it online, but you still need to learn it from your own ainga. Uh, you can't. You can learn some the basic stuff, but you've got to you know you've got to sit down with with your own if you want to hold on to the culture. I mean, for Maori, I guess when I look at sort of my Maori side compared to my Samoan side, um, you know, we used to live up north on the farm and now Marae and we'd, we'd go back there and do all that sort of stuff. It's easy, easy, easy yeah. access. Yeah, easy access. Yeah. yeah, easy access and you're on the Marae mm-hmm. and you're there for tangihanga and you're on the kitchen and all that sort of stuff. I mean, definitely my sister, it's interesting because um, my sister's probably a lot more immersed in te ao Maori uh, and I'm probably a lot more immersed in, in Samoa. Um, and that's just because I've been here. She lived up north for a bit as well, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, but they're both very important to hold on to because you need to, you need to hold on to those aspects of our culture and your identity, so your kids have something as well. Because when they don't, then they start having problems, and they can, you know, go off the rails and all that sort of stuff. So, mm. yeah. So all that stuff is important, like the know what they're doing, and all that. So. Yeah, man, I just you know, just needs to stretch it out a bit, a bit you know, a few few generations down. So it'll be interesting to see, like when we're we're old, with yeah. our grandkids running around, it'll be interesting to see what the what the landscape is with our culture, especially here in New Zealand. Yeah. You know, you talked about like um, mixing in with the Kiwi culture. Like, do do you think like that will manifest into something in the future? Like, a, like a Kiwi, a real Kiwi sort of. Cook, cook, because right now, if we say Kiwi culture, it's it's just the stereotype stuff, right? On TV, like yeah. everyone plays rugby, likes yeah. rugby, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. if if you consider like the Indians are here, the Chinese as well as Pacific Islanders, yeah, you know, um, South Africans, sort of, like yeah, you, know, you sort of are we gonna pick and choose go stuff? into something else? I guess uh, time will tell, but I I, th- I mean it would I wouldn't be surprised if it does sort of change things like that will change over time because of the uh, the influence of other cultures, um, and again as long as people sort of hold true to um, the basic parts of their culture, they'll be able and they continue to pra- do those practices you know do sitis and saltangas and all that sort of stuff, then they'll always be a part of it. But as soon as people stop using them inside a family inside a nainga or you don't go back to Samoa and see it alive and all that sort of stuff, or you don't get, you know, a better and all that sort of stuff, um, then it'll start to disappear, and it will be replaced by something else. Because people, I guess people are always looking for a sense of belonging, and obviously most people will find that uh, in terms of their culture, um, you know. Um, the work that my sister and I do, we write... Um, <coughs> Section 27 reports. Have you ever heard of those? No. So we basically work with offenders, um, and Section 27 reports, they're also called cultural reports. Now that's a little bit problematic because it's not just about culture. Section 27 reports are based on the 2002 Sentencing Act, which enables any offender um, to have a cultural speaker 
which we think actually should be their family, or a cultural report written for them to help a judge um, come up with their final sentence. Does that make sense? So it's, it's basically... It's, it's a translator. Not so much a translator, but someone who was... And like for me, like I spend my days basically either at Mount Eden Prison or Parry or in court or video video chatting with, um, with offenders. And we sit down and basically the way that the legislation is written is that they're looking for areas of deprivation. Those three areas are social, uh, economic, and cultural. So by social deprivation, if you think about, say someone, and we've gotten a few of these, especially during lockdown, say someone's beating up their missus. Social deprivation that might be in their, their past or in their upbringing is that they saw their mum, they saw their dad beat up their mum, so domestic violence. So that's a, a type of social deprivation. Um, say someone gets done for stealing, you know, they went and stole something and didn't pay for it. Um, again, if they were brought up in a family environment where, you know, they were having to steal to put food on the table or cry on the table, that's an example of economic deprivation. I guess where the cultural stuff sort of comes into it is do these offenders or do, and I just work with the men, my sister works with the, with the ladies. Were they deprived of culture? So did they grow up, for example, learning Samoan? Or did they grow up learning to deal? Did they spend time on their marae? So by having a look at sort of those three areas, is there a causal link or is there a, a basically a link between what happened to them as kids that could help explain their offending now? And you can imagine if you grew up, and, and this is the big thing that I've picked up from it, is that the men that I've sat down with or going to see in prison, um, most of them will come from a fatherless home or a broken home. Most of them would have seen domestic violence. Uh, they would have been exposed to drugs and alcohol from a very young age. I'm talking five, six, quite easily. Um, a lot of them were physically abused, sexually abused, uh, and that those can manifest in different ways. And that's not to say that if you are, uh, if you were sexually abused, that you will go and sexually abuse other people. But that anger can manifest in other ways and basically force someone to do from what I've seen, more violent crimes. Gang culture. I mean, our whānau, our, our, our Māori side, you know, we have gang connections, and that's maybe why sort of the offenders are a bit more at ease with us. We know what gang culture is and to be a gang family as well. Um, and again, if you take someone, and it's a bit like how we talked about before, sort of being going back to sort of the deprivation that our ancestors are sort of suffering and all that sort of stuff, there's even more factors now um, that can sort of send someone the wrong way. And one of them is culture. Like I will say, a lot of the people that I've sat down with, if they didn't have a strong sense of, strong sense of their own culture, then they more, they found that culture, they would find that sorry, culture, that identity in gang culture or drug culture or crime. Because, I mean, culture is just a form of doing something, right? So it didn't have to, yeah, that, that's, that's probably been the biggest thing for us in sort of doing this work over the last year and a bit, is that, there are definitely things in someone's past that can help help explain. Now, the reason why these reports are written as well is because there's actually a discount that's on offer with these reports. So basically, if you get in trouble, you go to a sentence in indication and the judge said, well, you've done this particular crime, you're going to get this number of years. Uh, if you put in an early, early guilty plea, that's 25% off straight away. If you do restorative justice, that's another X percentage off. These cultural reports, um, my sister and I, the reports we've written, not to sound like a dick or anything, but our reports have never not gotten a discount. 
And sort of that discounts range sort of between 10 to say 35%. So if you think about it, if someone... Is that a cultural discount? Yeah, basically for doing the Section 27 report. What? Yeah. So you could say, and the reason why lawyers will engage in it is that you might have someone that's facing X number of years. If you get your sentence under two years of imprisonment, and depending on how much time you've served in remand and that sort of stuff, you can get a non-custodial sentence, as in you don't go into prison, or you won't go back into prison, because some of these guys are repeat offenders. Now that, funnily enough, is one of the big criticisms of the report, because essentially you're giving these different avenues uh, or discounts for offenders to get less jail time, or even be released back into the community or be placed on home detention. But again, at the end of the day, the way that the legislation is written is that everyone has an op- has access to that. I mean, we don't just work with Māori and Pacifica. I've written reports for Asians, Africans, Middle Eastern people, and obviously I found the Africans, Middle Eastern people, um, and Asians especially, they're more migrants that have come over here. And and a bit like our a bit like our previous generations, they came here and you know, they had to adjust to being in a new country, not mm. speaking the language. They'll get on the drink and you know, then they'll have you know, drink driving charges, all that sort of stuff. So what does that fall under that that particular thing? That the the, the immigration one? The what, what you just yeah, described. So that uh, that's probably a form of cultural deprivation and oh, okay. that you're having cool. to adapt to a different yeah. culture. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, I know what it's like to live overseas. You know, footy's taking me sort of all around the world, and what well, yes, mainly predominantly Western countries. But I know what it's like to live around Asia and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, and the way that people adapt into a new um, environment or a new society or in a different culture, some of them grasp it with two hands and just run with it. Other mm. people, you know. If you can't speak a language, I mean, if we moved to a country where English wasn't the main language, we couldn't speak the language, and we found it hard to get work, um, you know, we might resort to having a few too many beers cause to, to, to deal with that sort of anxiety and depression. So I found, again, whether it's Māori Pacific or our, our other immigrants that have come over from different countries, there is an avenue there for um, help to, to be offered in terms of these reports. But the other thing, with the rep- what we do with our reports, it's not just about getting people off if that makes sense. It's not about getting them time off or discount. It's actually sitting down with them and saying, are you really remorseful? Like, are you, or are you just saying this so you can get a discount so you can end up in prison in bloody six months' time? I've found the people that, um, the men that have kids on the outside, whether they're like young kids or older kids, they're the ones that seem to be a lot more open to changing. Some of them, no remorse. So I'm like, well, bro, you ain't going to get much of a discount. It's not going to be enough. You're probably going to end up inside. So it's also about being real with people as well. You know, just because, you know, you're Māori or Pacific and we can write these reports, if you're not remorseful, if you're not willing to make the changes, if you're not going to do the courses that they recommend, you're going to have a problem. You're going to end up going back into jail. A lot of them want to because that's their safe place, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're used to the wars. They're used to the schedule. They come out into the world and it's like, oh. You know, there's no one to bring my meals. There's no one to sort of, you know, keep me safe. And that's that's something else that I've sort of um, learnt over our time doing this. Because it's like, yeah, some people do want to be in jail because it's safer for them. Because out here in the real world, you know, you have all this responsibility. It's not as easy for some people. Um, and if they're part of a gang as well inside, it's, it's almost a holiday for them. Or it's a, it's a you know, it's a, a badge of honour. So it's it's yeah, it's it's been an interesting sort of. Um, journey to go on that with my sister, especially given her background as a lawyer, um, and then moving into writing these reports. But like I said, it's you know you go to the sentencing, 
and you sit with their families and you're like you know and the hardest ones are where um there are fam you know there are people that didn't quite realize that yeah you're going to go to jail if you commit this particular crime and it doesn't matter if you have a report or your early guilty plea it's not going to be enough for you to go home with your family and when they get taken off the jail and you see their kids crying and their families crying, their parents crying. It's like that's maybe when it sort of sinks in, and then they realise, oh, hang on, no, this is real life. I'm going into prison now, so yeah, crazy. I always thought it was um, it was poverty that was the main factor towards crime and and, and what's happening. Um, the you, you see, there was the economic um, deprivation. I think that can come under economic deprivation. There's yeah, deprivation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely aspects of that. Yeah. And I guess depending on, you know, which particular group you're, you're talking about, I mean, if you're talking Māori and Pasifika, we can sort of talk to that a bit, a bit more. Obviously, again, if you were, like you said, our, our, our previous generations came from Samoa, from the islands, and they were already starting at the bottom. They were doing the cleaning jobs and the labour jobs, so the, the lowest paid jobs. Um, and then to try and advance up, if they didn't have an education, very hard. So they'd stay in those low-skilled, low-paid jobs. So, you know, that, that's where poverty can sort of manifest. But then obviously, if they've been able to get their kids into good education and then they've been able to sort of bring them out of poverty as well, that's an opportunity for them to get out of it, but it's not always the case. Mm. Again, I guess that's why they have that, they look, they consider economic deprivation, i.e. poverty basically, having to steal to, to put guy on the table, for example, mm. as, as a, a means of explaining why people offend. But I guess... Again, like we said before, if people are in poverty, it's usually because they don't own their own property or they're not in high-paying jobs or they don't have that sort of wealth from previous generations. And wealth comes with property, property rights, land. The Māori had it and then they lost it. Some of them some of them got it back. They've started to get it back and get assets and resources. And I guess for, <coughs> for generations now where, you know, if you're in a position where you can, um, if you have a good, you know, you got a good education, you have a good job um, that allows you to buy property or buy assets, some sort of assets, then you're going to set up the next generation much better as opposed to being where you are now. So, But yeah, I mean, poverty still plays a part. But then that also, I think, in New Zealand um, sort of reflects the role of the welfare state as well. And obviously New Zealand, uh, you know, I mean, obviously Labour's back in power and Jacinda Ardern's in there, she's doing her thing. Um, but again, if you sort of look at I guess what sort of happened after World War Two, and again, like we talked about with the, the Great Society in America, the role of the welfare state, where you're giving government a lot more power to institute all these programs, actually keeps people in poverty. And that was the big argument with African Americans. And the one thing I have learned is that when you also take fathers out of the home, when you incentivize uh, mothers to have kids, but they don't need to have a father in the home, they can just basically be married to the state, they're going to have money coming in, but then those children born into those uh, families or households, well, who's their role models? Who's their father figure? Well, they don't have a father figure around telling them not to do stuff. They'll go out and find it out somewhere else. They'll go and find it in gangs. They'll go and find it in crime co uh, crimes. So it's uh, the big thing for me, I mean, being a father, I've got two boys. Um, for me, that's the most important job that I have is to be there for them. Um, and to teach them things, They'll give them the tools to basically navigate life. Because life's tough. Life's going to be tough regardless. You're going to encounter racism. You're going to encounter sexism. You're going to all the isms. You know, as long as it doesn't become socialism or communism, well, then we're okay. But if not, then yeah, we're going to have problems. So, 
I guess also you got you have outliers as well. Some people who are in poverty but find a way to break through because they're, yeah. you know, sometimes struggle is real and sometimes struggle gives you that sort of drive to to push up. So there are those people as well. <laughs> and I think those kind of people, they don't get much props these days. Yeah. And I think some of them we've had on the show, like on our yeah. podcast, like talk about that. Yeah. You know, how they struggle and then they, they don't want to be in that situation mm. anymore and they just found a way. Yeah. And that's one thing that, that was pretty cool to to hear stories of those kind of stories. Yeah, I guess overcoming adversity, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's it's um, I mean, it's it's about sort of resilience. I think that's that, that's sort of the buzzword these days, right? Yeah, Everyone's trying to build resilience. And that's yeah. what I want to ask you: like, how mm. the, is that something that we're born with, or something that's taught? Or it's not that it's because you know how I said some people yeah, just pull nurture. through. Yeah, pull through. Yeah, yeah. Like, where, where did they get it from? Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, some, if, if people that argue that it is sort of, some people are naturally orientated that way, uh, it comes from nature, yeah, maybe they were born, if you can be born with those sorts of genes. A lot of people probably argue it's more nurture or the environment because when you are exposed um, to adversity, you'll either build resilience or you'll fold, you know, and that's where sort of things like suicide can come in and be quite... Um, quite detrimental um, I think it's a combination of both I think everyone needs to go through some sort of adversity because we are very lucky especially here in New Zealand uh, to be born into a place and a time where people that look like us a uh, hundred years ago or back you know long time ago would have had problems you know <laughs> and they would have had a lot of problems today we can walk up and down the street do what we want right um but uh, I think everyone, you know, needs to, to face a bit of adversity and whatever that is for you, just to build that resilience so you can deal with life and its problems. Because the alternative to that is, you know, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, sort of going the other way, and sadly, suicide. You know, I mean, we've we've talked a bit about suicide on, on, the, and that's what I like about all the different podcasts that that you guys have as well here at the Wizwiz Network is because you talk about those sorts of issues. You know, when people get to the point where, um they don't feel that life is worth living, you know, that's where having people around you, hearing, even just listening to even a conversation like this might be enough to sort of get them out of it or get them to go and seek help. You know, go to help, uh, go to the different helplines, suicide line, all that sort of stuff and talk to someone because, I mean, suicide is, is ridiculous. And I guess even with these lockdowns, I mean, I think I heard, I think during the lockdown they said suicides hadn't moved or was the same or less than it was last year and I was like, really? Okay. I think there's more. If you say so, if you say so, because I mean, you know, uh, I guess depending on where those stats come from. I mean, I heard in Japan, like, there's more people that have died uh, from suicide. I don't know if it's in the last year or even just a, a particular period. There's more people that have died from suicide than um, obviously COVID and sort of the usual uh, death death uh, occurrences. So stuff's happening because people are. You know, I mean, I wouldn't mind being locked down here. I mean, you've got a nice big screen TV, got the beer fridge, got the sensory deprivation tank over there. <laughs> the tanny booth's a nice touch. I quite like that one. <laughs> get the, get the, the, those natural rays coming through. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of problems going along. Uh, there's been a lot of problems with these lockdowns, especially. And I think, I mean, do you think lockdowns have built resilience for people regardless? I mean, what do you think? I mean, you being in lockdown, did that make you a bit, a more, bit more resilient to sort of dealing with life's issues? I guess we're pretty lucky here, you know. Yeah. I think our biggest problem was uh, getting used to no no takeaways. But um, but you know, in saying that though, you know how everyone's encouraged to go on 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 walks around the block. Yeah, man, I go walk around the block, right? Like yeah. I do it every day, like yeah. during the level four lockdown. 
See the teddy bears? See the teddy bears? Man, but honestly, every day I walk past, there's like a couple of different houses I walk past. Yeah. You can hear the um, arguments. Yeah. <laughs> the husband and wife arguments. Yeah, yeah. Hey. And I'm thinking, oh, man. So what happens when you These guys can't be locked down. That's what happens when you don't <laughs> shut the local... Uh, that's when liquor stores are considered essential services. Like, that was a bad idea. Um, but yeah, no, and I have to say, and our, and our mahi and our work as well, yep, a lot of family violence, domestic stuff uh, that we've sort of seen come through. Um, so there's definitely sort of signs there that that lockdowns are creating those sorts of social problems. I uh, remember the government did acknowledge it. They said they were going to, during the lockdown, they oh, you know acknowledge that there's going to be some... Oh, there'll be more lockdowns, probably. <laughs> if, if this government's going to continue to have an elimination strategy until the vaccines get here mm-hmm. from Pfizer and Moderna, I mean, you look, I mean, I think the, the UK just came out of their uh, lockdown and they're already distributing the Pfizer vaccine, right? I think they just started yesterday. And they've just locked down California. I mean, we've got family in California and they're like, what the hell? You want to open all those bloody Hollywood movie production sets, but you want to close down restaurants. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you know, you're, you're putting out, um, you know, catering tents for people to eat outside, but telling restaurants they can't open their restaurants. Are you stupid? That's why people are, you know, uh, sort of revolting and, or rebelling and stuff. So, yeah, bro, it's uh, these lockdowns, bro. And, you know, depending on how far down the rabbit hole you sort of go and sort of what you sort of understand about how they're being used, yeah, they, they make a lot of sense. You know, if you get there, it's, I think it's all about compliance and seeing how willing people are to, how compliant people are willing to be. Mm. Are you willing to wear the mask? Are you willing to keep your social distancing? In New Zealand, we're pretty compliant, right? Yeah, uh, I see it when I drive past the bus stop, people waiting for the buses with all their masks on. So, mm. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's not like America when you see them arguing at the supermarket about have the rights not to wear a mask, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's because they have, you know, they, they, they love their First Amendment right. They have the Bill of Rights and their constitution, which basically allows people to have those, you know, I mean, I think the First Amendment is, you know, um, freedom, freedom of speech and all that sort of stuff and holding guns. But I guess here in New Zealand, yeah, we've, I guess because we're, we're an isolated country at the bottom of the world, we've been able to see what's happened all around the world uh, in terms of, of lockdowns. But I mean, that's been, what, nine months mm. of lockdowns? And are cases up or down? Down. Or cases here, huh? Yeah. Mm. Around the world, are, oh, they up, are uh, they up or down? Some up. Some up, some down, right? Yeah. So it's going to show that, you know, if, if people are taking lockdown, lockdown, but cases are going up, well, then obviously the measures, that we, i.e. lockdowns, don't necessarily work. The big thing, I guess, with, uh, I mean, my own personal view on, on sort of the, the lockdowns and this is so my dad is in a, a rest home just just around the corner Bupa Tasman Care they look after him really well and so he's you know obviously very vulnerable um, we saw that situation there was the other rest home just over in Te Aratu that um, had those out, that outbreak and then the one down in Christchurch and, you know and 25 odd people in New Zealand dying of coronavirus is very sad um, during the lockdown I mean it's one thing to sort of message and talk to someone you know on Facebook Messenger or whatever it is but, but not being able to see him like face to face, was very was very was very tough, and, and for him as well, and even the people inside the rest home. I guess, and what's happened is, you need to. I think you need to, and a lot of people argue this is that you need to look after the most vulnerable vulnerable people in society, and the people that are most that will are most susceptible to the disease, and will have problems if they encounter the disease. Mm. I.e., older older people. Because that's who they've, that's who the World Health Organization, CDC, Ashley Bloomfield here in New Zealand, they said, yep, those those people are the most vulnerable. 
again, because they might have underlying health conditions, it seems to react with worse with them. But then for the rest of the population, um, kids should be in school, people should be working, and even if they pick up the virus, they're more likely to beat it. So, you know, we have a situation where everyone's having a lockdown, everyone's having to wear masks, even after the efficacy of masks haven't even been proven, sorry, and lockdowns haven't worked. So why are we still doing them? Because we are compliant, because we'll listen to the government, because they'll tell us what to do and we'll do it. And then you have legislation like the COVID Response Health Bill, which basically needs to be renewed every... It's, it was supposed to be like a temporary act, right? Responsible. If you notice, every three months, cases sort of spring up there so that they can basically keep rolling it over. Right? Because the responsible, every three, it's only supposed to be valid for three months, and then the government can make a decision where to extend it. Well, every three months, the cases go up. So, oh, no, we need it for another three months, another three months, another three months. I remember there were some, some legalities with what they were doing, and um, they had to word them pretty specific. Yeah. Otherwise, if they said the wrong word, it yeah. would have been yeah. against yeah. the law. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So they were real careful with what they were doing. You've got to be careful. I mean, again, if you want to, uh, I guess, maintain control of the population. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's there's people within the government and within the health and the ministry and all that sort of stuff that obviously want, no one wants to see people die. Um, but at the same time, do you want to see people suffer mental uh, health problems? Do you want to see more people committing suicide, more domestic violence? Um, I mean, we're definitely seeing it. People developing um, drug and alcohol addiction more than they would have if they were able to go to work. Um, I guess that was the thing with us in terms of our work. Because we do video chats, like, we didn't stop during lockdown. We weren't essential workers, but we could keep working because we'd just video chat, you know, and, and then write our reports that way and then submit them to the court. And then even for sentencing, you could actually zoom in, uh, sorry, video chat in, into the sentencing as well. So, But, yeah, I mean, how did you find, because in terms of what do you do for work as well? I'm an architectural technician. Me, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I work in town. So yeah. during level four, we we could work from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was just you know, at home. Yeah. But um, level three, they put us back in office. Straight back in the <laughs> office, right? You guys are essential. Hey, what's this about? Is there like a you have to pay three dollars forty to go into town? What's some sort of new tax that they're going to bring in for the city? Did you hear about that? Oh no, I didn't hear about that. Oh, I, I saw something. I thought it was a petrol tax. I think actually just being inside the city, like they're going to start charging people for actually going into the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I thought maybe it was News Hub or something like that. People were like, hey, I'm based in the city, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of roadworks going. On. Yeah, they're going to make K Road like a one lane. Yeah, street, yeah, know? that sounds about right. They're pulling all these uh, bike lanes everywhere. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> People doing away with their bar, their cars, and you know, I guess it's all to bring emissions down and all that sort of stuff and carbon emissions. So I was like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see sort of because even in town, cause we we go to town a bit as well, and you know, the speed limits are all reducing. I mean, it's thirty now, thirty or forty, and like you said, all the bike lanes, which is quite cool because you know you can basically jump on a bike or walk all the way from here all the way to town. Well, that's a pretty decent decent walk, but at the same time. Uh, I guess, are you trying to turn the city into a ghost town or just have people there? I mean, what's the what's the plan there? It's, um, hmm. well, it was up to me. I'll, I'll turn all those car parks, buildings into apartments. You know? <laughs> well, they need to fill them, right? Because uh, um, well, there will be no cars, so why yeah, have those car parks? So yeah, true. I think a, a good plan would, because they're building the um, subway system, that yes. link link yeah. around, the, around town, the outskirts of town. Yep. So I think if you put apartment buildings all along that link, the outskirts of town, mm. just build them all, make make people go into the city rather right, than out. 
like a smart city. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah, sort of push people in there. I guess the other issue, I mean, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of a lot of apartments going up. But I think I noticed that there's a lot more. There are a lot of student accommodation or student apartments going up. But then obviously with less international students sort of coming or being based here, maybe they'll open those ones up as well to sort of people and make them a bit more affordable and sort of bringing everyone into the city and all that sort of stuff because yeah, otherwise they're just going to sit there. They'd be like those ghost towns in China, those, those big ghost towns, like thousands of apartments, no one lives there. Yeah. Just massive developments. Oh, if you, if you go down Auckland City during the holidays, it's, it's empty. Yeah. You know, everyone's gone. Everyone's gone to their batches. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, lucky for some, eh? Lucky for some. Everyone's too. gone down the line up, up north. Yeah, you know, so. enjoy that sunshine. I think just to get people back, get people back into the city. I mean, I think they messed it up when they first took away, they took away car parks when they, they made people pay for car parks. So local businesses couldn't have their business there because you can't, the customers can't park anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. and if you remember, I don't know if you remember town back in early 90s, like, you know, the Queen was, was like an outdoor mall. It was. You know, you walk down Queen now, you see $2 shops and banks yeah, and that's it. <laughs> going to stages and then waste oh, a bit of money. Oh, you go into Mid-City, what's yeah. in there? Well, $2 yeah. shops and yeah, all that. Yeah, it's all changed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah it's interesting. Um, lots of changes, mm. definitely lots of changes, and um, changes for obviously infrastructural changes and all that sort of stuff. Changes in education as well, sort of the way that um, obviously our kids are sort of taught. I mean, how was homeschooling for you fellas? Oh, uh, well, the kids are good. They just yeah, they just watch the internet. <laughs> online, online, the Zoom, own. Zoom classes and yeah, all that Zoom sort of classes stuff. and that. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to sort of. I did uh, my my oldest boy who's here. Yeah, we did. Um, um, we did homeschooling, which was quite fun. Oh, obviously, sorry. We used a system called Class Dojo, so you could upload work and would have a Zoom class and all that sort of stuff as well. And actually, quite enjoyed it. Um, and even when we went back to school, it was like, oh, do I have to go back to school? I said, yeah, you got to go back to school. Mm-hmm. That way, you can get, you know, see your mates again and, and go on trips and all that sort of stuff. Because um, he's just he goes to a Christian school, a Jira Christian school, just over in Avondale. And so he's like, ah, oh, now nah, I'm good. No, we'll just stay home and do school at home. I was like, no, no, no. Back to school, mate. Yeah. Enjoy hanging out with people your own age as opposed to us old people. Yeah. Yeah, so, but it'll be interesting to sort of see what happens sort of next year and in the years to come, whether schools continue to adopt sort of some of the um, the changes in regards to using like technology in terms of, of schooling. Because, I mean, that, that's a big thing as well. I mean, kids are on devices quite a bit as well. Um, so maybe you might want a limited screen time. Uh, you definitely want to sorry, limit screen time. But I guess if it can be utilised for people to learn at the same time, because everyone's a different kind of learner, that could be a good thing. Um, but yeah, well, I guess we'll see. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's funny because I remember listening to your episode 21, I think. You and Pat were around the fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just we around. had our Coronas. <laughs> right. We had our Coronas and he, he voted me off uh, the island. I was like, oh, sweet ass. Yeah, <laughs> there was, I think there was maybe one of our rabbit hole Rabbit uh, hole, wow. Or reviews, maybe one of our Re- reviews. Reflection, yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- reflection yeah. or something, yeah. That was probably the first time I wanted to ring in and, oh, okay. and put my two cents in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you guys, you guys were talking about um, our kids and how, how we need to educate our kids for the future. And you guys missed out on technology. Yeah. So I think that's a big one. Yeah, that's, that's important. Because we got our technology podcast. We yes, Polytalk. Yeah. And um, yeah, the, the Polytech talk. And mm. it's been recorded here. But I've, I haven't been on it. I've just been helping out. But yeah. Man, I've learned so much in that. Man, the only thing I've learned on that one, mm. you got to learn how to use a computer, man. Like, True. Got a code. you got a code, man. you got to learn a code, right? And there's, <coughs> def- there's definitely a lot more um, There's a lot more people encouraging kids to code mm. uh, and, and learn 
those different scripting languages. I mean, I even I did a bit of web design many moons ago as well, and HTML and JavaScript and all that sort of stuff. And you know, it, it's it's an interesting sort of um, thing to get into. But no, definitely. Uh, again, our our education system is sort of obviously based more back in sort of the industrial age and sort of getting people in classrooms and learning particular skills. The big thing, and this is someone that's again come through the education system. So we'll, I'll preface this by saying, look, I've come up through the New Zealand education system. I went and went into university, studied, got a degree, um, and then went to lots of different jobs. Maybe because I did sort of social sciences. Um, maybe that's what I mean. I think if you're going to do like a particular, like architecture or engineering or, have, or medical field, have a particular type of skill, it can be a good thing. Um, but... If you're sort of not in those STEM fields or those sorts of careers, unless you're willing to take on debt, which is what stuffs everyone up, um, then yeah, you might want to reconsider whether you want to go down that path because there are other options out there. That's why you've seen a big push um, for tradies, right? You see all those ads, you know, it's basically saying the same thing. Why go into debt when you can get a trade and actually make more money than these people that come out with degrees? Yeah. And, you know, I think... For myself, when I look at my kids, like, yep, I mean, they're four and six right now, and it doesn't matter to me if they don't end up at university, unless they want to become doctors or something like that, or, or that, that's where they need to go and train. But apart from that, there's lots of other options out there, and technology is a big part of that. People developing apps, you know, coming up with it, all that sort of stuff. That's probably where the future is for a lot of us, or for a lot of people. Um, but I guess the thing with technology as well is, the advent of technology, and when you have a lot of technology, it can take away from social interactions. And while this is awesome that we get to speak on a platform like this, a podcast, and have this, what I think is really cool, a long conversation, not scripted, just throwing stuff at each other and sort of seeing if it sticks. Um, some For some people, that can isolate them as well. So it might expose them to the ideas, but then they're more... Uh, prone to just listen to the ideas as opposed to, I mean, I would hope if someone listens to this podcast, they would go away, sit down with a friend and said, oh yeah, I saw those two fat guys talking about some stuff. What do you think? <laughs> oh no, that one was cucker, bro. He didn't even know what he was talking about. <laughs> no facts. Facts over feelings, bro. <laughs> but that, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. I can, you can, the, the, there's definitely a lot of advantages to technology as long as it still encourages some sort of uh, social interaction being able to, yep, use the technology, even if it is a video chat, but actually interacting with other people. Because that's the other thing about getting a job, right? Mm. I mean, you can have all the qualifications and skills in the world. You don't have people skills. I don't want to hire you. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to have to build your own thing and then, you know, sort of bring people in there. So, yeah, interpersonal skill, interpersonal skills is still very important. Mm. Mm. I was thinking about um, one of the one of the guests we've had on, on the Polytech Talk, Tovia. He mm. said, um, of kids using his kids when they use... Um, devices and stuff yeah there's a time limit on consuming yeah but more of a time um creating yes so you give them programs where they can create things yeah there's a few out there, and right? and and they can go for gold on that you know yeah, 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 you can yeah. spend as long as much time as you want because you're creating something until they get sick of it right yeah because you never know what that could lead to you know yeah i guess it st- <coughs> definitely stimulates the brain in, in all the right areas mm-hmm. you know that creativity and, and sort of yeah i find the same thing with uh with my, or my older son who's here yeah he's I think we've been a bit, um, there are a couple of, um, again, Class Dojo was the, the school that the, the app that the school gave us for him to use. And he can use that as much as he wants to do like different things and create and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then he likes, oh, no, can I watch a movie now? I'm like, well, you can, but you can only watch it for like half an hour. 
half an hour later, oh, can I keep watching it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, go on, go on. So I've got to sort of keep tabs of that, right? Because like I like, I like that. It's, it's have all the time you want being creative and building stuff and then even going away and even trying to build it with blocks or whatever it is. But but don't just con- don't sit there by like a vegetable and just consume stuff. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just going to be scrolling and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, I think you'll see a lot more... Um, and you've already seen them, like obviously a lot more uh, Polynesian uh, TikTokers and YouTube uh, uh, people and all that sort of stuff. Because I guess without, I mean, we're not a monolith or anything like that, but just we do have a uh, an ability to be creative and be engaging and hopefully not too boring to all, to all the listeners out there right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, and if you can utilize platforms and the technology, like you said, man, uh, you can definitely have... Uh, more opportunities, I think, if we're talking education, mm-hmm. utilize those skills and encourage. And as parents, right, we want to encourage that. Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, yep, you can encourage them to go play footy or go play sports because they'll learn about you know leadership and communication and all that sort of stuff. But I like what you said. Yeah, get them being creative using the technology, mm-hmm. but monitor just how much they're just consuming because that's yeah key. Mm-hmm. Speaking of education, like you, you've some of your profession over the years, huh? Been, yeah. been, been an educator. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you you finished Auckland Uni and you did a few jobs and did you? Yeah, did so you become a a teacher or some sort? Because I heard that you went back to uni and did some lecturing. Yeah, yeah, I did, bro. So I um so I f- so I did uh, I did an arts degree. Um, I majored in sociology and minored in film, TV, and media studies as well as a bit of political studies and a, even a few women's studies papers, which were quite fun because there were lots of ladies in the class, obviously. <laughs> um, the funny thing was, I actually, I was considering going into psychology, but I can't count. I failed stats and you need stats to, to basically progress through. So I wasn't going to be like, um, you know, let's go down that road. So I basically did my sociology degree. I finished. I went overseas, played a bit of footy in Australia, um, uh, became an alcoholic. And uh, I drank too much Victoria Bitter. And, uh, any VB uh, guys out there, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. Basically came back to New Zealand, uh, went back to Auckland Uni and did, it was technically post-grad study, but it actually it was undergraduate because I did, it's called a graduate diploma in arts. So you can have, you can be post-graduate in that you've graduated, but you can do undergraduate courses. Does that make sense? Mm. And so that's when I picked up Samoan um, to the Pacific dance, you know, we got to dance in Siva and the Fale, you know, we got to learn Samoan, we got to do Kapahaka, we got to do all that sort of stuff. I got a lot more, I found my second time around at uni, I got a lot more involved with like Ngā Tauira Māori, like the Māori Students Association, and the Asosi. Somehow I ended up the vice president for the Asosi one year, we took the Sotanga down to Hamilton, uh, that was quite funny. Um, <laughs> So yeah, definitely that that second stint, I guess, that I, I got to go back to uni, um, I got a lot more involved with the cultural stuff. And this is me, you know, my early twenties, you know, because I came straight out of school, and went to uni. But to come back a few years later, having sort of been over, you know, even if it was just Australia, play a bit of footy, um, having come back with a little bit of life experience and realizing, uh, you know what, I actually <coughs> need to learn more about Samoan culture, and the best place to start would be starting to learn the language. And so that's what we did there. Um, and it was probably in 2000 and, um, I want to say 2006, 2007, um, I worked for, I was part of the, it's called the Tuakana Arts Program. So Tuakana is an older brother of the same sex sibling. Tuakana Arts Program. Um, I worked alongside um, Carmel Sepuloni. 
And she was awesome. I mean, she was, even back then, I mean, I was like, you're going to be the first Pacific Island Prime Minister one day, I reckon. And I reckon she still will be. But she she used to run the program, and I used to help her with that. And that particular program was basically a, a pastoral care and academic support program for Māori and Pacifica students in the Faculty of Arts. So if you're in the Faculty of Arts doing any arts papers, we would offer, we basically had someone like me, and I was only a little bit older than a lot of the students, who could sort of be there in like a pastoral role or refer you on to different support services or you can come down and sit down or talk to your parents or whatever it was, but also academic support, as in we ran extra tutorials for Māori and Pacific Island students. Now the fun part of that was is that a lot of other students were like, well, how come, why do Māori and Pacific Island students get these extra tutorials? Who's saying that? The Pālangi students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the big thing there is, I mean, I'm Māori Samoan, but I'm also Danish, Scottish. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I know what it is to sort of walk in, in, in both those worlds. And I actually, the funny thing was, when I was in my undergraduate, I used to have uh, fun uh Debates and conversations in our political studies classes because, you know, you'd have a lot of young nats, a lot of conservatives. And I guess at the time I was like probably more left-leaning or, or Labour supporter. And they'd be like, well, why should, you know, why should we give you guys, you know, uh, why should there be treaty settlements? Why should there be multi seats in Parliament? All these sorts of questions. And at the time I didn't really know too much. I just said, look, uh, you know, New Zealand is what it is today because of the Treaty of Waitangi. The Crown and Tangata Whenua came together and we've had this relationship ever since and that's maybe why you should have Māori seats so Māori's always have some sort of say in how elections work and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some people probably back then would have said, oh, well, just being racist because, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't prioritise one ethnic group over another. But again, if you look at, if, if, if it was a race... If you're saying that Māori and Pacific, as they came in late, are starting back here, and Palangi or Pākehā people are here, we need ways to sort of catch up. And I guess when it comes to Māori and Pacific Island, I hate to like group Māori and Pacific as a monolith, as in one big group, because we're all different. Within Māori, we're all from different iwis, we have all different dialects, all that different stuff. Pacific, Samoan, Tongan, yeah, there's, we have a lot of things in common, but we're also very different in a lot of ways. Um, so these particular, and some of them looked at them as remedial, there were a lot of Māori and Pacific Island students that didn't want to be associated with that. Like, like we offered, it was like, hey, if you'd like to come in, we'll do orientation, we'll go out on camp, a bit like school, you know, seven form camp, all that sort of stuff, take them away to, um, to Waiheke Island, all that sort of stuff, just to create a cohort of, I guess, brown faces, um, because we were a minority group at uni anyway. Because yeah. uh, where did you study? Uh, I went to Unitec. Unitec, yeah. So, I mean, I can imagine there, you know, was there a lot of brown faces? Uh, what was the sort of... Actually, it was the most... Six or seven of us? Yep. Yeah, in the same class. And, yeah. and they said there was the most brown faces they've had. I was going to say, yeah, that's a big number, especially for, for your sort of area of expertise. So I guess the, what I found with the, the Tuakana Arts Programme, and there's another programme I'll talk about a little bit later, um, the the reason why you have programmes, and I guess you could call them affirmative action programmes, the ones that parallel what was in America, because there is, the government sees a need or sets aside funding and in this case, they call it equity funding. And I think that's important when we're talking about those sorts of programs is understanding the difference between equality and equity. So equality is what? 50-50, right? Or everyone should be the same. Equity is what's supposed to be fair. So if you have a group that is supposedly disadvantaged, then in order to help bring them up, particular students, then you need to have additional tutorials, for example. 
The problem with that is, is it's always going to be a catch-up game, I think. So, right, you know, being a part of that program, what I can foresee in the future, maybe five generations or whatever it is from, from what we're talking about, is you'll have one group that might come up to the level, but then this group here that went part of the equity program will say, well, hang on, we didn't get that sort of funding. Now we're having problems. You know? And if that's the Pākehā or Pālangi people, well, maybe. Because, again, that's the problem. I think whenever you have... And again, I was a part of it. I was, I worked it. I, I believed in it. I was happy to, to, to work there and support it. But when you have, whenever you have any sort of affirmative action or equity programs like that, it can actually cause division and problems. And in some cases, not just problem, actual problems for people that are part of that group that you're trying to help. And the big thing at the University of Auckland is they have an equity opportunities office. And within that group, Obviously, minority groups, as in Maori, at the time I was there, Māori and Pacific, that's why you had to sign funding. Uh, um, disabled students, they'd set aside funding for disabled students to help them to, to also advance. Uh, women, because obviously there's less women at university, I guess, although I think statistically there's probably more, because they depend on what sort of field that you're talking about. So these, again, these particular equity initiatives or these particular equity problems they can be good in some sense, but they can also be detrimental in other senses. Mm. They can be good to you, but not necessarily good for you. And I found that a lot of the students that were in our program, they actually suffered, they suffered a, a bit of stigma because they were associating them with, for them it was like a remedial program. Oh, you need extra help because you weren't smart enough to get in to university to start with. Sort of things like that. Does that make sense? Mm. Is that, I mean, was there anything like that at Unitech when you were there or? Nah, there wasn't in terms of like extra help for us. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we just did the same thing everyone else did. You did the work. Um, we did the work. You did the um, work, yeah, achieved, yeah. Yeah, there was no exams. We never had no exams or internally assessed. Mm. So we just handed our assignments at the end for yeah. a mark. But, um, yeah. but you know that argument between um, equality and equity. and equity? I get the equal opportunity. We're going to make sure everyone gets an equal opportunity. Equality of opportunity. To make it. But then sometimes, like say, like for instance, at my work, we've got this guy that came from the government to talk to us about this diversity thing. Oh, trouble. And, and it was like, oh, we need more survivors. We need more brown people in the industry. Yep. And I'm like thinking, okay, that's cool. Where are they? And are they willing to work like you did? And are they are they coming out of university doing architecture? Yeah. And and if they're saying we want more, you need more brown faces in your work. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, but, but where are they? There's none coming out. Or, yeah. Of university, you know. Do you need to get more people like yourself into schools to say, hey, look, I'm an architect. You can be an architect like me if you want. Again, it comes down to value, right? Mm -hmm. So where does sort of our people, again, if we're going to be talking about groups, where do they see value? Do they see value in becoming an architect or do they see value in becoming something else? That's how you encourage people, by having people like yourself in there. At the same time, are people willing to work that hard? I mean, I can imagine you would have worked that hard, pretty hard, to, to get to where you did. It's like... Why ask the businesses? Why don't you go to schools and ask the primary schools? <laughs> oh, are, are, are the kids going that way? Are the kids, yeah, yeah, or are you putting the the brown kids in rugby? And yeah, yeah. are they playing sports more? Are they playing for first fifteen uh, for ten years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys go play sports because you're good at sports. Yeah, you yeah. guys go to music because you're good at music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not encouraged to do chemistry and maths because yeah, STEM fields. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, those I, kind of stuff. You know? Yeah, I mean, again, if that's coming at a governmental level, it's because obviously they've been told oh, you, you need. You need sort of more brown faces or you need diversity within your workplace. I guess when it comes to a workplace, do you want diversity? Pardon me, sorry, bro. Diversity or do you want the best people for the job? Now that sort of has a lot of issues around that as well. 
do we live in a meritocracy where it's the people that work the hardest and, and can do the job, get the job? Or is it, do you just want to fill different, do you want to look diverse and, and multicultural, whatever you want? And not even just culture, right? It's also you know, sexual orientation, all that sort of stuff. You need to have X number of gays, X number of transgender, whatever it is. And that's the whole, that's, I think that's the big thing with the whole intersectionality of this sort of society now where you have, it's no longer just about um, you know, how much melanin you have in your skin. It's not just about where your ethnicity is from. It is about what is your sexual orientation because you have human resources department that say, well, if you've just got a whole bunch of straight white males here, well, that's not very diverse. I mean, how are you going to encourage people not from that group to get into this particular organisation? So that's where I think a lot of the arguments come in. If you bring in diverse people, maybe that'll bring in other people of that particular group and then you'll have your diversity. Diversity can be a strength, but diversity at the same time can be quite intolerant if you don't agree with you know, some of the views of the people in those groups. Does that make sense? Mm. So, I mean, you see a lot of um, issues now with, again, human resource departments and probably like the guy that came and spoke to you that says, yep, you need more brown faces here. Again, well, you can tell us that. I mean, are you going to set up programs for us to go into schools and encourage that? Um, or are you just going to, yeah, how, how do you propose that happens? Mm. And then again, that comes back to, again, the education system that we have, is it shaped to do that? Is it happening at primary school, intermediate? Just don't call it intermediate. Primary school, intermediate, high school. Are you getting, that's when they have those career fairs and careers guidance counsellors and, you know, unless you get with those career guidance counsellors say, oh, no, just play rugby, bro, you'll be right. <laughs> no, bro, you're one injury away from, from being done and then you have to find something else. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's and there, in, in New Zealand, it's, yeah, I mean, yep, you want to see more people achieving in those fields, but people have to want to, I think, achieve in that field. They have to, they have to be willing to walk down that path and do the work like you did, or whatever the field is. And people, it's not to say that our people can't. Um, I, I, you guys had um, Lesina on uh, back, and so after I finished my light time at Tuakana Arts. I went over to the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences and I helped coordinate basically a similar program to Tōkana Arts. It was called MAPES. And that was the Māori and Pacific Admissions Scheme. That program it was actually a quota system, a quota program that started back in the 70s. So have you heard of it before? No. Oh, okay, cool. So also I'll share a bit of information on how it sort of relates to the lesson as well. So the MAPES program, and again, another equity program, another affirmative action program, because again, you didn't have many... Uh, Maori and Pacific doctors, nurses, pharmacists, health professionals. And that's one thing you know we're still struggling with today, right? You've got people like Lesina and a few other people that are, that are coming through. This particular um, MAPAS program or scheme had been in place in the 70s, uh, from the 70s. And what happened was, basically, if you're Maori or Pacific, you know how to become a doctor or get into the, the medical program, you'd say you needed an A. They were letting Māori and Pacific Island students that were getting C's or B's in into the medical schools or into these programs as well. Now, do you think that's going to cause problems for other people at all? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, it's going to cause some problems. Um, and so that, that happened for a few years. And, um, and some students that came in under that scheme, under that program, were able to finish. I mean, Dr. Elena Curtis, who I, I worked with in the faculty years later, and she's now the um, the director of that, that particular program, Vision 2020. Um, she came through that program, and she was able to become a doctor, and then she actually came into the academic field, and now she's an associate professor. Um, but she talked about there were a lot of people that came in with Cs, 
and then they flunked out. They failed because they couldn't handle the six, seven years of medical school. And so by the time I moved over into the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences, I was a, a, a MAPES coordinator. So I coordinated uh, the program. Again, like the Tuakana kind of Arts program, a pastoral care and academic support. So we had the same thing. You basically had a, a coordinator who could sit down with you. If you're having problems, go and see your MAPES coordinator, which would be me, and I'll sit down and be like, what's wrong with you? They'll be like, and they'll tell me, and they'll try and help them. And then we had those additional, again, just like in Tōkana Arts, these additional tutorials specifically for Māori and Pacific Island students. What we, what I found in my time within that program, as well as the Tōkana Arts program, is that not all students are geared up to be university students. People go to university, and, and again, in this case, because it's in Auckland, the University of Auckland, they went there because their parents wanted them to go or they wanted to save face. We had students in those programs that were in there for like 10 years that would fail and then come back and fail. Whenever you talk about any sort of um, organisation, you always talk about um, recruitment and retention of customers or, in this case, students. And so we had, I mean, the pass rates for a lot of these Māori and Pacific Island students that were coming through, this is in a, I'll be specific here, at the University of Auckland within the Faculty of Arts and within the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences was quite bad. And that's because a lot of them were being led into the program with lower grades than what they should have had, that they didn't get a bursary or whatever it was to make it in there. Um, by the time I got in there, and this is where Dr. Elena Curtis was really good, is they started to change, we had an interview process, whereby... Um, oh, sorry, so when you got in there, was it still mm. the sea to get in? No, and that's what I'm getting to oh, now. Okay. So so by the time, and that, basically that was the history of it. Yeah. And so by the time I got into saw the, the MAPES program, um, they had an interview, pro uh, interview process. They'd come down to uh, Waipapa, the marae down at, uh, at the... Um, at the university, they'd sit down with, with Māori and Pacific uh, academics and they'd be interviewed by them, and I used to do them as well because I was a, a coordinator, and we'd try and figure out what's the best pathway for you, what qualifications have you come in with, and what pathway is going to allow you to eventually become what it is you want to become. Most of them want to become doctors. So you might have a student that didn't quite have the grades to, to get into the medical program straight away, overlapping year one, and so we would recommend them to do, and we'd say, yeah, you're not going to be. You don't have the grades to go straight into the program. You should do the certificate, and, I, and then later I ended up tutoring or lecturing, lecturing sort of thing, on the certificate in health sciences. That was basically a, a program for Maori and Pacific Island students that didn't go straight into um, the degree programs. They started at a certificate program. A number of those students have gone through the, the certificate, gone through the degree. They're out there practicing. They're out there saving our people, which is awesome. Um, but for a lot of them that came through, would recommend the certificate. They didn't want to do it. They're like, no, no, I'm going to be a doctor, so I need to be in that program. Well, first of all, and we'll take them through testing as well, like numeracy and literacy, bit of an interview process. I think when you have sort of interventions like that from and with people that have actually gone through what you're trying to do, if you want to become a doctor, yeah, you need to actually listen to people that have gone through that university, that faculty, and become doctors and and know how what you need to do and listen to them. Mm. And so, again, as I said, a lot of them end up doing the certificate program and then they got into the degree programs and then they became health professionals. A lot of them got into the certificate program, failed that and realised, 
oh no, uni's not for me. Yeah. And yeah, I think I'm going to go do something else. Some of them went into other faculties within the university. Some went to law, went to arts. Other people just went to other jobs. So I, I think whenever you have, a, I guess, a program, whether it was Tōkana Arts or the MAPES program, um, you need an interview process or a way to sit down with people f- before they come in. Mm. Uh, you don't want to have people come in and set them up to fail. And as I said, uh, Lucina, she was one of the um, she was one of the MAPE students. She was one of the really good uh, MAPE students. I think actually she probably would have been able to go straight into the program. Uh, into the she had the grades, and that was the other thing. Sorry, I'm not saying that all the Maori and Pacific Island students that came through the program and came to the interviews and went through the MAPE's program were C students. Some of them were A students. Mm. Some of them were B students. Some mm. of them were C students. The ones that tended to be they obviously worked hard, even if they were C or B students, they were the ones that got through. The ones that were A students, they actually were fine because they already had the work ethic, they already had the the education behind them, they had the family support. They had, you know, that a lot of them a lot of them I found in my time maybe didn't quite have the same cultural identity because they were brought up in Kiwi culture. But a lot of them picked up things being part of the MAPES program and then all that sort of stuff as well. So it's it's encouraging to see that, you know, a lot of them when I go into the hospitals now and you sort of see them now as nurses, you see them as pharmacists owning their own pharmacies. You see them as doctors, which is important because it's, you know, one thing to see them. When you go to the doctor and you see another brown face, they're like, oh, you're sweet. <laughs> it's a bit like when you go to court. When I go to court now, it's like, oh, you see another brown face. Like, oh, I'm not the one on trial. I swear <laughs> it is. I'm not the one that could end up, well, maybe. But, but, you know, when you see another brown face, like you said, when you see another brown face, that will encourage you to move into that space. Mm. It's very hard to move into a space if you don't see another brown face or someone that looks like you, mm. unless you really, really, really want to go there. If you, know, if you don't have the role modelling, whether it's your parents or older siblings, it's very hard to move into a space. But if you really want to move into that space, well, then you, like yourself, you find a way to do it and you get in there. So, so yeah, it was uh, it was definitely fun to teach on the certificate, um, and we you know we talked about Pacific Health and Maori Health and all the. Um, socioeconomic factors, which are important, the determinants of health, and why our our people again are at the bottom here, and we've got all the worst outcomes uh, for health as well, and that's that encouraged those particular students even more to study hard, to complete the courses, to complete the degrees, to get out there into the workforce because we need them. Yeah, we need mm. them. Even if they end up on the bachelorette or the bachelor, <laughs> why not? Hey, if if you can, why not? So, <laughs> Wear different hats. It's, it's fun to wear different hats. Uh, now coming back to your, I didn't answer your, your your question to me where you said, do I think that you should be qualified or what was that one? Qualified or to do a job. You have to be more qualified or be be equal sort of thing. Oh, okay. Uh, <coughs> well, you know, yeah. me, I would say yeah. the most qualified. Yeah. I think businesses, I think businesses should hire the most qualified. Yeah. Because... As a customer, you want the best, the best product or the best service. Best service, yeah. And especially the best service, you want the best people to be on it. Yeah. yeah. So why, why would you want the most qualified? No, and it doesn't matter what business sense you want the best people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's what a meritocracy is, right? The reason why LeBron James dominates the NBA is he, yeah, he's got the genetics, he's got the the drive, the work ethic. Anyone that achieves anything in life, they they're the most qualified or they're willing to work the hardest to achieve that. And if you're talking, like you said, a business sense, yeah, you want the best, yeah, you want to want to hire an architect that's kaka, and then next minute you'll have your building falls over, and then you know, you're know you liable for people dying and all that sort of stuff, safety first. So yeah, qualifications are important. Mm. Um, but again, uh, right now we live in a time where 
people want to push a narrative that you know you need to have a representation. I guess the thing is like because the people that have been in power or the richest people they've tended to be white males, right? So they're, they're the ones that dominate. And then there's you know even despite all of that, there's people like yourself who can still come into those spaces and come into those businesses or organisations and be on par with them as well. But it's it almost seems like because there isn't enough variety or diversity, in order to look good for customers or maybe shareholders or to so that people don't think your organization is racist or bigoted, oh no, let's get diverse people in. Are they if if they're qualified and they can do the job, great. If they're not, well then we're gonna have problems. Oh otherwise, go ahead and start your own that's what I mean. If people will try and fit into try and squeeze into boxes or doors. Why not just create your own door? Why not just create your own door and then you can open and close it when you want and then let other people in and if you want to have different people come in then you can do that as well. You know, our, our people, we want to encourage each other and plant those seeds. So yeah, whatever it is in life that God's called you to do or you feel that you need to do, pursue it. I mean, there's nothing stopping us, right? I guess when you when people sort of talk about you know, there's barriers to entry for business. Yeah, that's usually financial and money-wise, and if you don't have money to invest and all that sort of stuff, you can sort of find, you know, um, ways to do that. But just, there are barriers for us. We're born into a very lucky time where we can do the things that we want to do. I guess just like yourself, are you willing to work? Are you willing to work and, and you know, do what you have to? And that's why I think also technology is important because these are opening new new jobs, that's new, new, avenue, yeah. new things. It's also funny to me how you know there's not more. I, I wonder why there's not more doctors and lawyers and accountants to help survive now because that's one of the main things our parents push <laughs> for everybody. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are only three jobs they push, and that's it. Oh yeah, my dad was like, "Oh, you go to the university? Yeah, I'm going to university. What are you going to study? Um, uh, sociology. From t- why you want to go into us? What? Go be a doctor or a lawyer?" I said, "Uh, well, I don't really want to." To be honest, I mean, that's not what's going to get me out of bed in the morning. I mean, I'm, I was trying to be a, you know, I mean, the dream was play professional rugby overseas and have a plan B or have something to sort of fall back on. Um, but at the same time, sort of go and study something that was interesting. And at the time, I was lucky to sort of get partial scholarships. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely still, I would say this, the intrinsic value that's placed on being a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, whatever it is, uh, especially by parents or even people in general, um, is why people get pushed into um, those particular careers. But if cleaners got paid as much as doctors, how many people do you think would be cleaners? Everyone. <laughs> I'd be a cleaner. I don't mind cleaning. Hey, that's what Saturdays are for, yeah. right? So again, it's 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 whatever status, I guess, a particular... But I mean, in saying that, I mean, doctors are very important. Without doctors, we're going to have problems. Mm. Lawyers? Mm, mm. I guess so, but uh, you know, I know a few lawyers, and they're okay. But yeah, I remember talking to a guy from um, Romania, and he came over here mm. for work, and he was saying that, you know, when the, when the government feels there's too many of a profession at the country, they'll shut down that school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, damn, that's pretty harsh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like I said, I mean, hey, the, you look around the world, and you know, there's some pretty crazy places, mm. and you can see why sort of people will leave their home, they'll leave their homes for better opportunities for themselves, but definitely if they have kids. You know they'll they'll make the move just like our our um, our previous Pacific Island generations that come to the land of opportunity. It's interesting now with obviously you know Samoan families left Samoa came to New Zealand. 
once they realised Australia was a much better, well, and get more pay, more sunshine, more like the islands, oh, Australia. And then, you know, a lot of them are now in Europe, a lot of them are in other countries. You go where the opportunity is so that you can, you know, um, have a good life for yourself and your family. So, mm. Yeah, it's funny because I looked into moving to Australia. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, actually, that's actually starting from zero again. You know? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Um, for all the relationships you made here. Well, yeah, but there's always family and friends moving over. So there's enough people over there. There's plenty of them over there. Plenty of them. But, you know, still for me it's like, okay, it would just be a different place. Yeah. You know, a different environment, more money, but mm. same life. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's like. I'm doing the same, exactly the same thing here. Yeah, why not get paid uh, a bit more for it? That quality of life is important, right? I mean, it's 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 one thing to, and <clears throat> you take your hat off to anyone that's willing to do a job um, that they hate, just to you know they'll get out of bed in the morning, they'll do the job. I mean, I'm, we all know plenty of people, you know. How's work? Oh, I hate it. Well, then why do you do it then? Well, I've got to look after myself, got to look after my family, got bills to pay. Okay, well. Yeah, you can continue to do that or you can find other ways to sort of bring in other uh, revenue streams, I guess. You know, start things on the side and if that develops into something that you can monetize, and like podcasting, for example, then you know you might be a bit happier because why go through life, work a job for 40, 50 years or whatever it is and then come at the other side and say, well, I didn't actually, well, all you have is the time that you get given. You might as well make use of that time and enjoy life and have a good quality of life. And if you can do that and, and provide for your family, then yeah, happy days. I mean, that's a lot of people would say that would be a successful life. You know, so depending on what you want to do, but that's up to you, right? So, I mean, I've been doing what I'm doing for like 20 years now. Yeah, bro, that's and awesome. It's sort of like, okay, it's beginning to feel like just a nine to five now. And yeah. I, I sit there at my desk, I'm, yeah. I'm drawing and I'm thinking, okay, I should just quit but then I think nah there's, there'll be worse things in this <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah hey. so you know I think for me anyway like it's more I valued more time now yes time like I'd rather I'd rather get time in lieu than, than get a payout you know so yeah. I spend time yeah yeah. my own time you know time mm. with family and time doing this I don't know but yeah. the more the more I'm out of the office the, the better now so yeah yeah. yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, you're very experienced, and I guess it's what's in, what I do find interesting. And I guess we talk, we've talked a lot this at length probably on our podcast, is how people transition out of either if it's from job to job or career career from school mm-hmm. to university, whatever it is. Life is full of transitions, and how you how successfully you transition out of one thing into another will determine that quality of life that you have. And I mean, a lot of the people that we've, we've spoken to, and even my own personal experience, um, having transitioned from, say, being a professional rugby player to then going back to a, whatever a normal life is, it can be a tough transition because all of a sudden you go from doing something that you did as a kid, you loved it, oh, you know, you'd run around bare feet and play in the backyard and all that sort of stuff, you end up getting paid for it, and you know, people see enough value that they will pay you to put on a jersey and put on some boots and run around a rugby field. And then I guess because there is a limited shelf life with that, you can't play rugby forever. So you need a plan B or you need to transition out of that um, once you're done. Some people will stay in the industry, for example, become coaches or that sort of stuff. But then what are the other options? I think if you're a professional rugby player, and this is what I've gotten from whether it was a Ronnie or Caleb or whoever it was, sort of sharing 
Ronnie wanted to make sure, and Sir Michael as well, that you know stuff that they did. Rugby was a part of of their journey, but it wasn't the only part. So you know, obviously, they're strong men of faith. They were part of their communities. They looked after their aingas, but they had other things on the side. They did other businesses. They got other qualifications, mm-hmm. and then that's allowed them to still be part of of that rugby circle, um, but then transition out of it quite easily because a lot of people. Like a lot of guys I've played with, um, you know, after they were sort of done professionally, they sort of they got quite depressed. Because it's one thing to go from it's a bit like being in prison, or the 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 schedule, the safety, mm-hmm. you know, rugby season. Okay, off season, I get training, you know, I play in season. Hopefully, I don't get too many injuries, and then I go again and I go again. I run out in front of the crowds. I sign autographs, you know, I get these deals. Uh, if, if you're like high professional, um, and for all of that to disappear, they're like, what well, doesn't anyone want my autograph anymore? Doesn't anyone want to sort of clap when I run in the field? And then you have health issues. That's why I quite thought, did you watch the Match Fit show? Uh, did I didn't watch it, but a lot of people were talking about it, and I, and I, was, I was listening. Good and concept. It's good. Yeah, good yeah. concept. Yeah. yeah, great concept. And I heard what, what was happening, and it was pretty cool. The yeah. stories everyone was talking about. Yeah. Ron Cripp, yeah, yeah. story, and yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. It was yeah. pretty cool. So, I mean, that's the thing, right? Those were guys who were all blacks. They were at the top, the best rugby players in the world. But you don't play rugby forever. And one thing that will happen when you transition out of professional sport or professional rugby in this case is that you got to keep on top of your health. And that's one thing that I found. I mean, to be honest with you, if I was still overseas, I'd still be playing. I mean, if my dad hadn't lost his leg, I'd probably still be overseas playing, um, even in my, my 40s, um, because physically I, I feel okay. I mean, people ask me, oh, you know, you had a bit of a rugby career. I was like, well... I wouldn't say, um, you know, I had a semi-professional rugby career and then I got paid to play. I got to get to play in the UK and all over the world and stuff like that. Um, but it was, I wasn't the highest level. You know, I didn't play, um, I got to play international rugby as well, which was, which was a buzz, it'd be at tier three, tier four. But was I ever good enough to be an All Black or did I ever have that desire to, to play, be an All Black or wear the Manusa Mojis? I mean, that would have been cool. To be honest, when I look at the guys that I played with and against around that time, no, because they, the other guys were so much better. Mm. The Tony Woodcocks, the Carl Heymans, the John Arfors. You know, I'd be like, yeah, no, I've got no chance. What team was that? Uh, so I sort of came up, um, I played a lot of Auckland rep rugby. So, I mean, I went to Mount Russell Grammar. We played B grade. I never played A grade rugby. Um, when I left school, I went to uh, Marist, I went to Teachers Eastern, came through the Auckland system, Auckland schoolboys, Auckland 19s. I was in the Blues development, I think 2000, I want to say. And that was sort of my first taste of semi-professional rugby as in getting paid, being part of the Auckland development squad. So I was part of the system. Yeah. But again, when I look at the guys I was playing with and against, like I put my coach's hat on now, I said, bro, I would have chosen you. Those other guys worked way harder. They were stronger. They listened. They didn't think they were so cool. And so that's what I mean. So uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I got to, to play uh, amongst uh, against those sorts of guys and test yourself. But no, I mean, I was, I was never good enough to reach that level. But even for someone like me to not reach that level, to still be able to go overseas and play rugby, to get paid to play rugby, to travel the world. So that was in, um, you went to Sydney first? Yes, yeah, so I went to, I played for a team called the Gold Coast Breakers. Um, oh, cool. So that yeah. was, was semi professional. They played in the Brisbane Comp. Mm-hmm. So this is around 2000. And here I am, this, you know, 21 year old, went over to this club and you know, I thought, oh, to be honest, when I look back, I was quite arrogant because I was like, I play for Auckland, bro. <laughs> you get over there and you play against these Aussies, bro, it's getting messed up. Um, and so, and that's when I developed a bit of a drinking problem. And that's, uh, and I find, 
those are the stories when I share those stories they're like you know but you've had plenty of opportunities but you know you, you didn't you, you, like, you could have stayed and played I mean Ty McIsaac who played for the Wallabies he was our hooker and a few other guys Wendell Saylor was part of that club as well and like you got you had opportunity but you didn't use them and so I have no regrets in terms of my career because I got given plenty of opportunities to uh, I guess make it but I just wasn't good enough at the time I accepted that and but I still wanted to play overseas. So I came back to New Zealand, started playing, you know, topside again. I ended up at well, Waitakere City just here. So oh, yeah. playing a bit, you know, but Auckland saw more stuff, Sale more and all that sort of stuff. I went over to the UK, came back, that's when I started teaching, uh, with the Ma in the MAPAS program. And then, you know, even a bit of time in France, which was fun. And then um I ended up in Asia sort of six, seven years ago. Here I was 32 years old, still wanting to play rugby, where most guys, you know, if they're not broken, uh, mm. sort of sort of pack it in. I'm like, oh, no, I'd actually like to see Asia. And so that's why I went to Hong Kong. Three years later, I was you know, playing for the Hong Kong rugby union team. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, who's this guy? It does look very sanger to me. And then a couple of years later, playing for the Hong Kong rugby league team. And that's why I was telling about our podcast we used yeah. to do before. Again, but not at like the top, top level, not mm. tier one, but sort of tier three, tier four, semi-professional. But having that opportunity to do that, you know, even if it's, people can find fulfillment in that, I guess is what I'm, I'm getting at. So even if, you know, you're not, if you don't make it to the very top or make the big mega bucks where you can then buy properties and buy investments and come out of rugby the other end successful and not too much brain CT, not too much brain damage. Um, yep, that's one path. But then I think there's a lot of guys out there and girls because a lot more women are going overseas and playing as well. There's other avenues. Mm. And that's why I encourage anyone that, you know, once all these bubbles open up again, if they ever open up again, if you get an opportunity, even if it's not, for, if it's, yep, you can do it for rugby, but other opportunities to do an OE, get overseas, mm. go and live in a different country, experience different <coughs> cultures, try different food. Some good food all around the world to spend up flat, but yeah. So yeah, when I when I look back on my um, rugby career, I'm like, yep. You know, when I used to play with Joey and Roger and them as well, yeah, yeah. they would school me. So they used to school me. So there you go. That, that, that should tell you enough. Um, but yeah, when you get given opportunities, yep. At the time, if if you're mature enough and can stay injury free, you can make the most of them. And mm -hmm. if you don't. Well, then you just find other opportunities to take advantage of and see how else you can use the gifts God has given you to sort of mm. do stuff but also help people. So, mm. You know, since we started our podcast and they had mm. all, all these different guests and talking about their their journeys and yeah. and their success, I sort of, uh, I've sort of touched on it before, but it sort mm. of made me look at my life while I did them. And I think, man, I've done nothing, you know. <laughs> but then, you know, I'm thinking, like, I could have done more or... Yeah. And then I think, okay, so this sort of a uh, place for me to, you know, to, to listen to, to their stories and listen to your story and you, how you're saying um, opportunity, like, and then I, I think of my kids, the, the kids upstairs, and I think, okay, I think the best thing is to show them everything yeah. while they're young. Yeah, bro. So show them all these doors yep. that, they, that they can open sometime, but as long as it's there. Yeah. Like, don't force them into whatever you want them to be. Nah. Like, nah. But you, no one ever knows what they're going to be, no. what your kids are going to be. You yeah. just need to give them opportunity to show everything. Expose uh, them to stuff. Expose them to stuff and, yeah. and try to find a way to get out of that repetitive life. Yeah. Like, you know, we're talking about having a nine-to-five job yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah. Same thing every day, yeah, yeah. you know. Unless you really love it. <laughs> Unless you really love it. But, but, you know, you might love it for the first 10 years. Yeah. But we, we live to what? 
50 years. Well, our life expectancy is, is going up. So, yeah. Going up. So, yeah. And I remember reading um, this book about, um, I don't know if you read um, um, Yovo Hari. He, he, he wrote um, Sapiens. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote um, Homo Deus. Yep. So the book of Homo Deus is about humans in the future. Yeah. What he thinks. And, True. you know, he gives all these facts and talks about it. He said, if technology advances humans, that they can live to 150. There's all these different sets of problems now. Yeah. You're really gonna live to 150. You're really gonna have the same job to 150. And the yeah. way te- technology is changing, you're really gonna upskill. Biohacking and all that transhumanism. So, so you're gonna upskill every 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I guess that that comes <laughs> down to whether we still have the same sort of economies that we have now, mm. and whether it's, you know, do we develop enough technology where people don't necessarily need to work more hours or as many hours? And I guess that's where sort of government comes into play and if you sort of look at sort of um, if you have enough technology where people don't have to work as much sorry <coughs> bills are paid for you can still choose to work in different parts of the community mm. you know then then you know you won't have to sort of transition out of that that's that sort of reminded me of um, an episode of um, I think it was Joe Rogan they're talking about ah the, the grey aliens that people have seen are those just humans from the future because by then their brains are so big yeah. because they're just using all the technology. They don't really use their muscles anymore. They're just sort of, they're telepathic. They're maybe mm. they have the Elon Musk Neuralink. Are those the humans from the future? Oh, maybe. You know, the little <laughs> little skinny with big heads. Oh, who knows? Yeah, it could be. Could yeah. be. Yeah. But, you know, that that thing, oh, sorry, we went off track with the, with the future thing. Okay. But, but just to, with the kids, try to open them up to opportunity but to not live that repetitive life. I think that's the goal. In, in a nutshell, you know, yeah. that that's, should be a goal, you know. Because, you know, like depression, I mean, if you hate your job, I mean, sooner or later you're going to be, you know. We've all done, oh, we've all done jobs, yeah. 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 Find fulfillment in whatever it is you do and how you spend your time and who you spend it with. Mm. You know, we, uh, if you have an opportunity to, yeah, if you have an opportunity to do something that allows you, that brings you that purpose or that fulfillment. Yep, it makes you money, and which is going to help you to then spend as much time as you need with the people that matter most to you. And for us, that's our partners, that's our our family, that's parents. That's you know, that's all we can encourage our kids to do. So yeah, it's way to do, way to do yeah. it. These are the things I think about, you know, from the podcast. And how about you and Pat? Like, have have you found doing the podcast from episode one to where we are now, mm-hmm. the evolution of it? Have you felt the like? Have, is there was there a point where I don't know, might be episode twenty that oh man, this is the, this is the direction we should go. It's, you know, it's it's becoming something. It's evolving into this. Yeah, yeah. We're going into this direction now. We we have thought about it before when we started, but yeah. I think we found our place now. We it's definitely evolved. I mean, it's 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 quite fluid because, like you fellows, I mean, we're pretty like this isn't scripted. Like this is just us people sharing their thoughts. Um, what I did find interesting is is obviously we started and it was just me and Pat. And then we started getting guests in and friends of ours or people that we knew. When we started to get people in um, that had, um, I guess, a profile or celebrity or high, a higher profile, sort of people that are known in the community or within the country or even overseas, I found that our, our format of the show actually shifted more towards an interview type podcast uh, whereas we'd ask a question and then they'd answer we'd ask a question which is more sort of your traditional media as opposed to when it's probably just me and pat like we're doing now just going sort of back and forth and he likes to go down the rabbit hole he likes to put his tinfoil hat on and i, I don't mind engaging in that as well um so i think yeah when we we 
we brought people on who have a bit of a profile, it turned into more of an interview process. Whether it stays that way, we'll see. But what I found, and that's what I like about what you guys do, is that it's actually when the, the video camera stops rolling and the microphones are off, that's when you really get down to the nitty-gritty. That's when you actually start, people actually open up a lot more and they actually they actually share better stories. But that shouldn't be the goal, right? No, it's that not. That shouldn't be and the that's, goal. That's, no, I'm like, and every time I'm like, oh man, if, I mean, if only he was willing to share that. That's the stuff that you actually wanted people to hear. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. because of, you know, where people's positions, <laughs> I mean, a couple of our guests, again, because they're high profile people, you know, they'll ask for questions or they'll have media people say, oh, what are your questions going to be? And we've had to change some questions because they don't want to talk about particular things. Um, that sort of changed it because they're like, oh, well, we don't really have questions. We kind of just have a conversation. Oh, no, what are your questions so that we can okay oh, them? Oh, really? I'm like, oh, okay, big brother, big tech. Oh, all right, Zuckerberg, all right, whatever. Man, so that, 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 that's, that's been sort of the, the change for us. Mm. And again, when it's just me and him, yeah, we can, you know, we can go down the rabbit hole. When we have other people come in, we have to be mindful of um, their status in the community um, because you don't want to get them in trouble. Mm. But I tell you what, once that camera's off, bro, they're going down exactly the same rabbit holes as us. They have the same opinions, and they have much funnier stories. So I was like, okay, I mean, mm. it's cool that we got to capture that. Will we get to a point down the line where we can capture more, more of those sort of natural stories? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but if not, again, we, whenever we bring people in, we just want them to be comfortable. And uh, whenever we, someone comes in, I'm always like, it's a conversation, bro. So throw stuff back at us. Like, yeah. you know, a bit of banter. Yeah. And we love a bit of banter. <laughs> Although, you know, us pollies, sometimes the banter turns into fists. But, um, yeah, just a bit of a chat. Have a chat. Um, but I, I have to say, of late, most of our – and I don't mind it in that format. I'm not saying it's, it's not a good thing because, like you said, when you've got someone that's achieved some great success – I mean, these are heroes uh, for, for a lot of people – that's what you want to come across. Not me jumping in and mm. chucking something out of left field at them. It's mm. like, well, no one wants to hear from you, mate. We want to hear from that person. So I'm like, that's a, that's definitely taught us to be a lot more, uh, to listen a lot more actively. Yeah. And then just sit there like, <laughs> and, and fanboy out, I guess, in yeah. some cases. Um, but, but just listen, because mm. that's the other part of conversation, right? Um, and I think it's important whenever you do, you got to keep, like, you got to keep, um, you got to show that you're actively listening to someone by bringing up their points again. Like, don't just throw questions at people. Just, well, you mm. said this before. You know, try and bring it back into the conversation. Because yeah. then it shows both of us are engaging and learning. I see Art of War up there. That's very impressive, brother. <laughs> Sun that's, that's cool. I like, like the box, mate. He's got a great collection. Thanks. Yeah, yeah very cool. Yeah. Now, all those things you you said is exactly how how we. What happens with us through our experience too, except for the um, we haven't had anyone to tell us what to say. Oh, true. Tell, tell what questions to ask, but yeah. but one one thing I do find what I think, or oh, I have this fear that we oh, now we'll get a high profile guest and yeah. and he'll be like thinking after half an hour he'll be thinking, why am I here for? You're not even talking about me. We're talking about what's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's the that's whole the, the format of the show. The format, the, how, the how, you, how you want it to sort of come across. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I, I noticed that with um. Some of um, Joe Rogan stuff, and I don't know if it's because they are celebrities and they already know each other's. Mm. But when 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 they talk, they just talk about what's happening now, yes, like what's happening around them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, I find that's pretty cool. I think we have an opportunity. Um, I remember when we did around the time of the the measles outbreak in Samoa, and so we started. 
I think early on in our shows like that, we started looking sort of back at a bit of historical stuff. So, you know, the Spanish flu in Samoa back in 1918, we started, you know, and then... um, we started talking about Samoan independence and bringing all that stuff in as well because it's an opportunity to talk about something that's happening right now but relate it back to and, and talk about the history of that as well. Yeah. And so I thought that was quite important. It's, um, so little things like that I think can be important to bring into conversations but getting that right balance of getting enough uh, when you have guests, enough of what they want to have come across I guess or what, what you think people will benefit from out there from listening to them will get but also just different things as well historic we learn from history right we're, we're products of history and all that sort of stuff and if you can relate it to something that's happening right now it just it just it brings a bit more nuance to the conversation and that's what you want you want a bit more nuance a bit more detail um for that conversation to be worth someone's time i mean for someone to sit down for an hour and a half two hours and listen to you speak i mean who, <laughs> who are we <laughs> you're like oh who are these random guys sort of but people want us are willing to do that right they will sit down and listen because they're like Oh yeah, he thinks a lot of the same things I think. Oh, I don't know that stuff. Oh, oh let's, let's go fact checking and see if he's, oh, he's yeah, actually yeah, telling yeah, the truth yeah. or he's being cucker. Mm. Oh, we we encourage fact checking, <laughs> but um, but that, that that's one of the things I like about you you guys' podcast is that you've had guests on that are irrelevant for now. Like you've had your friend that came on talking about he got COVID from from the oh, Maris. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. From yeah. the Fear Fear Night, yeah, eh? yeah, yeah, the Maris. Yeah, 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 yeah. That oh. was oh, that was crazy. What was that about? I, I was. Conveniently absent from that one. <laughs> Pat oh. said, <laughs> Pat said uh, that yeah, one. It was past me though. Oh. Yeah, Pat. yeah. So it was, um, but yeah, I mean, just to get um, an insight, because I mean, he was saying that, like the media were hounding him when he first got it, and he's like, oh, no, you know, I just he posted some stuff online. Um, but just, yeah, it's um, when you can, again, I guess, sort of do the job of, and again, we're basically new media, right? Or alternative media, all the different slogans as opposed to mainstream media so we have an opportunity because we have the technology and because we don't have the same i guess commercial imperatives um, that mainstream media have you can sort of go into sort of the stories that are most relevant and if you have that connection then that makes it even easier but i mean in terms of our like guess like pat's the one that reaches out i mean you know we we know, we know people and we approach people and we can jump on zoom or whatever it is but i mean if someone says no it's cool yeah, you just move on. It's like sales. The more no's you get, the more yeses you'll eventually get. Mm. So it's like, yeah, you just ask someone else and if people aren't, the timing's not right, sweet. You sort of ask other people. But um, yeah, it's an interesting, I guess, when we, uh, again, because I studied media. That was the one thing, sorry, I will say about what I got out of studying media at university. And you talked about it in terms of shining that light. That's what media was supposed to be. The democratic role of the media, and this is what we learned, this is, what, this is one of the few things I remember from studying, is that it's the media's job to give people information so they can make the most informed decisions, whether it's politics or things that are happening in that society. When you have narratives that are being pushed in certain directions that changes where that spotlight, like you said, goes, that's all people will be aware of and then they're not making the most informed decisions. So... Again, when you have alternative media like we're doing here, yeah, there's no regulation and I guess fact-checking and all that sort of stuff, although if it's on Facebook, it will get fact-checked, so that's always interesting. Um, you can sort of see how, I think in a lot of ways, sort of mainstream media is starting to sort of die, starting to disappear. And alternative media, more people, I mean, I'm sure statistically, you'd have to look up the stats, will get their, will get their news from social media. And again, that highlights the role of big tech and the sort of role they play. All those big tech oligarchs like, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, 
Who's the guy that has Twitter? Sorry. Uh, uh, what's his name? I've forgotten the guy that does Twitter. But, I mean, you think about it. That's where people are forming their opinions. That's where they're forming, and that's where they're then going and making, you know, at the ballot box or whatever it is, or what they're going out and protesting. Wherever that, sh- that light used to be just the mainstream media, I think you have two lights now. You have one light shining here, one light shining here. Will they ever become one light again? I don't know, because everyone has different opinions and different <coughs> views. And again, depends on what narratives are being pushed. Well, that, that big tech is where all the advertising are going to now. You know, that's why they're using all the, the data they collect to. Big data is huge. Yeah. That's funny how um, it's, you know, I've heard this so many times on other podcasts, um, that only uh, drug dealers and social media call their clients users. Oh, but yeah, we're users. Everyone else is, you know, a consumer. Or so it's it's yeah. And again, harvesting all that data. We had um, uh, Nico Faleonu, who does. Um, he he was it was interesting to talk to him because he's basically part of big data. So he, his company they they um, they specialize in sort of marketing and collecting big data. And then getting that to companies so they can use that data, or the ethics, um, which we sort of got into, you know, t- for them to basically target their marketing. That's all it is. It's a bit like, what's that movie? Um, it's a Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Minority Report yep. when he sort of wears the glasses and the particular ad that's coming. Yep. You see it on social media anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're scrolling through and then you, you mention oh, All Blacks, and next thing you know, an All Black ad pops up. The Obviously, Big Tech is listening, Big Brother is listening, and they uh, – uh, they want they want to market directly to you. That's what uh, social dilemma was, right? Yeah. What do you think of that, bro? Because that was that was funny. It was kind of for me when I watched it. it was kind of okay. Yeah, you sort of knew it, but it's good to see it in detail, right? Yeah. It's good to see exactly what's going on, and it's mm. it's sort of it also it's um it's cool to see the original engineers of yeah. the algorithm yeah. come on talk about it and say, I can't believe we've invented this. What the hell? <laughs> Technology, eh? Being yeah. used not so much for good. Yeah, and like you said, that's the thing with technology. Mm. And yeah. I heard you and Pat talk about it too. And mm. you know, you, you guys are you guys are right. Like um, we we live in a time where we don't know what's going on. We just go with it, and and the consequences we don't know what they are, but we just slowly mm. dealing with the consequences as they come. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, I guess when you uh, where people get their information from is very important, but how people think is more important which is where things like critical thinking come into play. Where you can, and critical thinking is just, if someone presents information to you, you can look at it and be critical about it. Or you can critique it or sort of break it down. Like, okay, this is the information, okay. And then someone else might come along with information that's contrary to that. You want to be able to look at both sets of information and then say, well, this makes more sense than this, or I agree more with this, therefore I'm going to go with that. People talk about sort of truth, speaking their truth. You hear that a lot. It's like, well, you should speak the truth. I mean, I, I can understand if you're saying your truth, but then there's the truth, depending on what we're talking about. Your ability to have, and that's where I think this is, things like this are very important. You need to sit down and have long conversations with people. Yep, they, you probably agree with in a lot of things, but also disagree with. Because when you, uh, like a debate or even a uh, discussion, if you talk to people that have different opinions, like I talked about before with that MoFax and Adam Curry uh, podcast, you got two different people sitting down and talking and understanding each other and learning, and that way it's either gonna you're either gonna solidify your 
uh, perspective on something, or you're going to soften it. Because you're like, oh no, actually this this thing makes sense here. Does that make sense? Mm. So you want to engage in, in long conversations. Yeah. Uh, like I um to sort it out. To sort out because there is a problem. If there's problems, need, yeah, bro. You definitely. need to sort yeah. it out. Yeah. You need to put. You need to, you need to, uh, you need to unpack everything and, unpack it, and yeah. see what it is and, and then it, yeah. and let's come to a you know yeah. a, a Some decision sort of based consensus. on yeah. what we can talk about. What do they say when they're polite? Let's agree to disagree. <laughs> like okay, as long as we don't punch each other in the face, yeah, that's all good. <laughs> yeah, but I think that 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 disagree, uh, let's agree to disagree is that is what happens when you have your own truth. Yeah, 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 that's true. You know, like yeah. f- for me, having my own truth is yeah, that that's. It's 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 good to have your own truth, but you have to be open to change if to if something else makes sense to you. Because yeah, yeah. everything's gonna make sense if it's your truth, right? Yeah, yeah. Because your truth is you is you making sense your of something. Your experience, your yeah. yeah, and you making sense of something. But if something else comes that makes even more sense, then right. hey, you gotta be lenient to. You can chop and change, right? You mm-hmm. can you can you can evolve or develop. Mm. I mean, think about those Argentinian those Puma players that said oh. something racist uh, ten years ago. Are these are these like uh, teenagers? Yeah, you can say dumb things when you're a teenager, mm. but and but retrosp- retroactively is that the term being punished for it now? It's like really? Well, that's kids' culture, right? So kids' culture. Pablo Matera. So mm. he said that stuff when he was mm. well, eighteen at the time, touring South Africa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then you know you 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 you've been in the court system and all that, so yeah. working there, so you know, kids' culture doesn't allow for rehabilitation or yeah. or or learning from your mistakes, you know. Yep. You said something ten years ago. Now that's it. You're out. Yeah, that, that's. The oh, it doesn't matter what kind of person you are now. Did yeah. you learn from your mistakes? I don't know, but yeah. I don't care. You're out. Yeah. <laughs> especially, so. especially us males, right? I mean, <laughs> human brain they reckon doesn't develop until your mid twenties. Like we're in our forties. I don't know about you, bro, but my brain's still a bit more. Mm. So you know, mistakes you make in the past, if mm. you're remorseful for them, or you learn more importantly, you learn from them, then you have a chance to evolve. Mm. But like you said, when you have cancel culture, that will try and look and now. With everyone's lives online, you know, people will go back and find um, stuff and and bring that up. Especially if you're in, like political office and stuff. What I find interesting is the the way. And again, if we're talking technology, have you seen those um, deep fake videos? The deep, deep where they put the faces, so they have. It's a, I guess it's CGI <laughs> based, mm. where they can basically. Um, and there's even apps that I've seen on Facebook which has the same thing where they where they, they can impose someone else's face on your face. Oh, okay. Or yeah. or impose it on like a character. And even I think Joe Rogan talked about it, even like voice um, recognition where or voice data where they can get um, all this online um, you speaking online, for example, put it into a database and then basically have you say anything. Mm. And you know, so you can imagine. So you can get framed. You can get framed, right? <laughs> right. It's my it's minority report, basically. If we think about that way, <laughs> yeah, I have to find those uh, those twins. So. But you know how I say about technology? I mean, if, if, if Pablo Matera said that 10 years ago, technology mm. was new. <laughs> no so, one knows what the platform was doing back oh, then. Oh, mate, it's just going to continue I mean, to evolve. You know, now we know what a platform does. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we can go back 10 years when no one didn't know yeah. and pick everything everyone said. Yeah. You know? So do you reckon AI sort of runs everything, bro? What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, hopefully AI is used to benefit humans, not to take over us. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's the right... Hopefully not an Ultron out there. That's the right thing yeah, to... Pulling those <laughs> strings, yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, you, know, you, know, you know, coming back to the podcast and, mm. and the long-form conversation, mm. like, you, you, you're right. If you're, with what you see in radio and TV, like, you don't get that anywhere else. 
Sound I mean, bites. it's all sound bites. You know, yeah. you, you're just there to answer, answer the question, and that's it. I mean, yep. you can't go deep into you know, conversation like how we do on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, I think, and I think how it's access podcast access is important too. Like, mm. it's not like it's not like um, you jump on YouTube and sit down for three hours and, and watch a conversation. You yeah, know? podcast you can put in your ear. You yeah, go for a run. Check your buds in, and then you're off. Put in the car. Yep. You can yep. Be stuck in traffic for an hour. You can listen to a whole hour. Yeah, you know? true. Especially on the northwestern. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. I think I don't. Do you and Pat find that it's that sort of um, access to podcasts still new in New Zealand? Yeah, I think it's it's a lot more common now. Um, and I think again, um, I mean, we both use Anchor, right? Mm. So I mean, I like the how Anchor um, has made it a lot easier for people to distribute their podcasts across all the the main podcast platforms, which means whether you get it from Google Podcasts or Apple or iTunes or Spotify, um, it's definitely a lot more accessible. Um, but the best part of that is that it makes it um, easier for people to jump in into the podcasting game. I think if you're going to jump into a podcast, though, you've got to you've got to have a little you've got to have some sort of plan, or at least some sort of like you said, sort of direction that you want to go in, and you can let it evolve and a chop and change and, and wherever you eventually want it to go. Um, but just yeah, these long forms of conversation, these long conversations that you have, they can then be used basically by anyone that sort of follows you to then help solidify people's own beliefs or maybe their truth um, and, and then that way they can sort of go away I mean I would hope that when people sorry my experience with podcasts is I will listen to a podcast and then I will you know go away and, and start a conversation with someone about it or about that topic um, I find the best uh, I go to Westwave on a, probably a Wednesday and a Friday morning, yeah. and it's always the, the, the there's always these uh, older Samoan people and uh, and Balangis and and Maoris and they all sort of sit in the hydrotherapy pool and they they have their discussions and their debates and they've 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 started to let me in. They, they kind of come and join the conversation and I'll just I'll chuck a seat out there or elections or whatever it is, and then they'll go to town and everyone will have their opinion. But but it's, it's just it's just good dialogue. It's good discourses, good discussions, and you know, and they'll all go away, and some of them will get angry and say, "Ah, yeah, kaka, what, yeah. what are you talking about?" And then they'll come back the next day and they'll do it all again, and again, it's, it's when you can bring the those ideas, you can bring ideas into play and flesh them out a bit and understand them a little, but then to hear them from other people's perspectives, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm. To hear it from older generations, it's like, oh wow, yeah, I didn't think of it that way because I'm I'm looking at it from here. You're looking at it from here. You're looking at it from here. We can all sort of, if we all have a bit more of a 360 view of whatever it is we're talking about, so a bit more detailed, a bit more nuanced, oh, it actually makes a bit more sense now. And maybe that's what makes you a bit more tolerant um, to understanding other people's views. Because mm. to change someone's belief systems almost near impossible, unless you're God and then, you know, people get saved and stuff. But otherwise, you know, people will be stuck in their beliefs even if they're presented with X number of facts. Mm. Now, even if you know the cases are made, if someone believes the belief system, if their belief system is in place, it's solidified and doesn't seem to break, then people are going to stick to that belief, whatever it is, whether it's religion or politics or whatever. Mm. So, mm. I remember hearing um, I remember hearing Jordan Peterson talk about how people uh, have he 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 learned from for his podcast that you know his his millions of views he's got. Yeah. For his podcast, like yeah. even his YouTube, like he's he's learned that people have a hunger for knowledge. People or need pe- it. People have a hunger for listening to mm. ideas. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, and for him, it's um, 
he said it's shocking to him that he can't believe it. You know. Yeah. And I, I think I think that goes to that. That's all for the long form conversation and podcast. You know, mm. people want to hear stuff. You know. They want to People, be exposed. They want to hear opinions, different opinions. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, there's that's the one thing about um, hearing a debate. Like I remember, um, I think he he debate uh, was it Sam Harris, mm. Sam Harris, and those sort of debates, and then they'd sort of sit down and atheism and all that sort of stuff. I guess the big thing with Jordan Peterson as well is that I quite like that he does his podcast with his daughter, yeah, and Michaela yeah. Peterson, and yeah, she's gone through a bit. I was just just yesterday actually, I was listening to um, their interview with Wim Hof. Because obviously Jordan Peterson's had quite a number of um, health issues. Of He's the breathing guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking, is that what the All Blacks do? The, and the Warriors did the breathing exercise? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, just to, to get the, the body alkaline and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but again, uh, someone like that, um, he understands the importance of utilising different platforms to get the information out there that he's trying to get out mm. and that's you know about you know self-responsibility and, and all that sort of stuff and um i quite like his self-authoring tool that he has online that have you tried it? i've had a look at it uh, um yep so again because i'm lazy i was like oh that sounds cool i think i'll just listen to his podcast <laughs> and uh child rules for life and uh yeah. chuck in a couple myself uh, um but yeah it looks good it looks like a good a good resource to basically if you feel that you know even if you don't feel that way if, if you feel like you need a bit of direction in your life then it's a good tool to use because again a lot of us again a lot of people might come from like I said broken homes or fatherless homes where you all you know didn't go through the same education system or have those skills um, or have some sort of trauma where they need to find ways to deal with things his work is interesting because he you know he does talk about sort of you know conscientiousness and agreeableness in terms of sort of work the workplace now, if you're more conscientious, you're more likely to be, you know, mm. to do the work, to, to get in there and get it done. If you're more agreeable, you're less likely to, to argue for a raise. So what would you rather be? you kind of got to get the right balance, right? Mm. Otherwise, you'll be stuck, like you said, in that nine-to-five job, uh, 10 years down the track, you're like, what am I doing here? What am I mm. doing here? I've got to do something else. And then have the courage to do something else. So mm, he's got some good stuff. Cool. Is that us? That's us, man. That's us, um, bro. Wow. Hey, the sun's gone. <laughs> the sunbed stopped. <laughs> so um, what's coming up in, with you and Pat on the podcast before Christmas? Are you guys wrapping up for Christmas? or? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, again, uh, that's all up to the boss. He's, um, he, he's he'll, he'll sort of let me know when um, if we'll do another one before Christmas. Mm. And then we'll probably get back up uh, in the new year bringing more guests in and, and again just sitting down and having these these probably not as long as this conversation <laughs> people have nodded off but um, you know definitely having longer conversations and, and again just bringing sharing stories and, and if again if people find them inspiring and inspired by the people we bring on or even topics that we talk about that's all it's what it's about mm-hmm. and, and definitely for us I mean it's 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 been fun to be able to do it um, but I think more importantly now connect with other podcasters like you fellas uh that are in the same space and collaborating because at the end of the day you know we can together with our powers combined like Captain Planet I'm sure we can you know <laughs> heart um, I'm sure we can get a lot more information out there and just get uh, encouraging other people just to have conversations talking just just sit down and talk to someone most definitely mm. oh I have one, one last question um, how are you finding you guys finding the, the different platforms because um, you guys are on YouTube and Facebook yeah so um, so Patty puts um, so we'll shoot it like we're doing now and then Patrick will um, edit because I guess because he edits it being the, the creative 
uh, person that he is. He likes to chuck in his, you know, his, his cutaways and his images and his, 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 um, his video footage as well, which is quite cool, but it's, it's time consuming. Um, and then he'll basically put it on um, our Facebook or on his Facebook page, uh, Denrick Productions. And then, um, yeah, he's got a, a basically a playlist of all our episodes. He does uh, upload them to YouTube as well. Uh, and, and But like I said, some of them have been uh, blocked because, you know, we like I said, we. Is that because of the music? Uh, so probably sometimes for the music, probably sometimes for some of the content. Really? Yeah, yeah. Maybe wow. some of the, the COVID stuff that we've sort of gotten. Oh, really? Yeah. What? Yeah, a bit weird. Well, that's, that, that's what he reckons. Okay, bro, either way they're listening, bro, so don't worry. Uh, just whatever content we can get out. And then I basically go away myself and I um, I get the audio and I check it up on Anchor and then Anchor distributes it all to the different mm. po- um, to the different platforms. So, I mean, it's not that time consuming, uh, more so for him. Um, but I guess, again, when it's, because it's a conversation which isn't scripted and it's just people chatting together, you know, I just turn up and, and uh, talk. So, yeah, like we've done today, which has been really awesome to do. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to come back again when our, our other halves are here to, to defend themselves. And uh, yeah. Exactly, exactly. No, no. That's a bit, man. You and Pat come back. Come back.